0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Big Honker Podcast. We appreciate everybody that's tuning in. This podcast is now up on YouTube. You can find us. All you got to do is type in the Big Honker Podcast and uh, all of our episodes are up there now. So go check it out. Subscribe, hit the like and subscribe button. I bet you haven't heard that before a million times. The
1: hunting season is over. The boring days of the Waiting until September to get here. And listening to the Big Honker podcast, apparently. And we do appreciate everyone for listening. We want to thank our sponsors. First sponsor is Alpha Outdoor Specialties, which is also our newest sponsor. And they're coming out with the Stanfield Stool, which we will release by the end of the month. So it was Alpha Outdoor Specialties. They can do anything. Fabrications. They got it all. Alpha Outdoor Specialties. And we will have a lot more on Alpha Outdoor Specialties after we release the Stanfield Stool, which will be the new way to hunt in comfort in an A-frame or a pit blind.
0: No more hemorrhoids. Nope, I'm sitting on a bucket for too long. Alpha Outdoor Specialties, and then let's talk about dive bomb. It is the end of the year. The one of the major selling points of dive bomb is they are easy to pack away when the season is over. Especially if you get the bags like I've been telling you to do for the last three years. You get the bags, you put them away, clean them off, hose them off, do whatever you got to do, let them dry. Back in the bags, back in storage. For us, we just uh, we we cleaned out our trailers and uh loaded them back up so it's an easy storage solution you don't have to take up a whole grain silo like you do with those clunky ass full bodies to me that is really packing them up is kind of the best
1: thing uh in my mind and they're sitting ready to roll next year as soon as we're ready to go to hunt we could go to north dakota in august if we wanted to to hunt and we could pull a trailer up there and it's ready to go uh, they got some new products on the market. They got the uh, kickback lay-down chair. So if
0: you're looking for that, it's got armrests and a nice, uh, hell, I think it'll even give you massage if you get the deluxe version. But they got a lot of cool new products. You can check them out at divebombindustries.com. And if you're looking for an uh, easy way to uh, get away from the bulk of full bodies, Dive
1: Bomb is definitely the way to go. And our boys over at Boss. Brandon and them got it going on. Folks. All made in America. It only, it's like a train. Only takes one. You don't have to shoot them three times. Kill them. It takes one. They've had they've had product all winter. You've had to order them in the morning to get them by the time the day's out. I had a guy message me today and said, "Jeff, I'm coming to see you next November. When do I need to order my boss?" I said, "As soon as you want to do it." He said, "I ordered it. It's on the way now." It doesn't so, go bad. If you come to the Big Honker Lodge, you can order your boss, have it sent directly to the lodge, pick it up when you're here. Guys from California that hunt with me, a lot of them order all their shells, have them delivered here, pick them up when they leave on a hunt because they can't get them in California without going through a bunch of. Paperwork and pain in the ass. So if you want a boss, that's the way to go. That's BossShotShells.com. Hardest workers
0: ever. I mean, to to be faced with what they have had to overcome this this uh, this waterfowl season with the supply chain and all that other bullshit, and to have inventory in stock ready to roll, my hat's off to them. They pulled it off. Uh, they're the best in the business. So that's, that's who you should spend your money with. BossShotShells.com. So more people you should spend your money with are the boys up there, Spocompton Compton, Washington, Mr. Trevor, Austin, Alex Yerges, Pacific Calls. If you want to call in a bird, they've got a call for you. Whether you're chasing lessers, honkers, specks, snows, turkeys, turkeys coming up, they're a one-stop shop. And they are incredible guys. Um, if you want some custom engravings or whatever, I'm sure they'll be more than happy to oblige you. Just drop them a message, pacificcustomcalls.com. They've also got some sweet-looking gear that they're getting ready to release, uh, hats, shirts, and stuff stuff of the like. And I've gotten more messages about this. They said, hey, I saw you were wearing a Smoke em shirt on the YouTube channel. How do I get that? Well, it's easy. You go to pacificcustomcalls.com. They just got a fresh batch up yesterday, and they're not going to last very long. So check them out, pacificcustomcalls.com, and uh, tell them the Big Honker podcast people sent you. We're also brought to you by shin gear waders, the best waders that are on the market right now. They're so comfortable. I mean, it's like you're walking on clouds. It really is. I didn't get to wear them a whole lot. I only got to wear them a couple times as a matter of fact, but the times that I did, I did not want to, uh, I didn't, uh, I didn't want to come out of them. I, I, I could easily see myself dry land hunting in a, in an a frame with shin gears on. I mean, they're that comfortable. You don't know that they're on you. The boots are incredible. The fabric uh, around your your torso and your legs are impeccable. They're tough. They're resistant. And they come with a, with a guarantee that they're going to stand behind their product for as long as you stand in them. So if you spring a leak, you call the people over at Shin Gear, and they'll get you taken care of in a reasonable amount of time. It's not like other companies where you have to order two pair of waders just to have one.
1: You send them to them, they
0: fix them in a in – a, Short amount of time, they send them right back to you.
1: You're ready to rock. I haven't had one person tell me that they, and everybody we're sponsored from, people give us feedback on them. Right. I haven't had one person give feedback yet that they had problems with waiters. Not one person. And they've been sponsored for six months. It's the best. You get what you pay for in this country. We ought to know that by now. If you get on Amazon and you buy something and it's cheap, usually you're getting a cheap product. If you buy something and you pay for good quality service and it costs a little bit more, you're getting what you're paying for and Machine Gear. It's exactly what you get. Good quality product with great customer service. And that's ShinGear.com.
0: We're also brought to you by Dirty Duck Coffee. It's the way I start my morning every day out here at the Big Honker Lodge. If your coffee sucks, it's not the duck. The Missouri Boat Ride blend, the best that there is. Ever since I've had COVID, coffee has kind of had this bitter, weird taste to it. The Missouri Boat Ride, I do not get that. Little hints of sugar, and I'm out the door. Thermos is ready to rock and roll. Incredible people over there at Dirty Duck Coffee. They're always trying to find a new blend that works for everybody, but I'm telling you, if you get yourself the Missouri Boat Ride Blend, you will not be disappointed. They're going to uh, hunting shows right now. I saw, I think, they're at uh, the they're Houston, Houston Safari Club. Houston Safari Club. So if, you're, if you're in the Houston area, uh, go check them out. I'm sure they'd be delighted to shake your hand and sell you a nice bag of premium roast coffee. It's delicious. Dirty Duck Coffee, you won't be disappointed. Also, we're brought to you by Lucky Duck, maker of the best A-frame that is on the market, the Lucky Duck 2x4 Blind. It fits foregrown, man, as advertised. It's tough. It's durable. Uh, Take your hide wherever you go. Uh, They also make waterproof spinners that are the best. And I tell you, another product that we just got turned on to is their Goose Flapper. We had uh, a very tough second half of our season, but actually, the Lucky Duck Goose Flapper convinced some wary speckle bellies and honkers and some snow geese to just give it up on a dime. If you're running into that problem, maybe your geese are getting a little wary of the flag, put that goose flapper out. It does make a big difference. Um, it's remote operated. You can, uh, you can change the wing cadence just off a touch of a button. You can turn it completely off. You can turn it on. Uh, they're easy to move around. So one morning, we had them on the wrong side. Geese were finishing uh, where we didn't want them to. Picked them up, moved them, no problem at all. That is over at LuckyDuck.com, and I'm telling you, the more more tools you have in your tool chest, better off you'll be. LuckyDuck.com. Also, we're brought to you by the boys at the Looking Glass Duck Club podcast, Mr. Logan Pyatt and Rebel Heron. Great guys. Uh, If you subscribe to their Patreon account, you can get full access to all the debauchery that they have going on over there. Uh, the bourbon review is still free to everybody, but if you want to hear uh, the nitty-gritty and the good stuff, you got to pay a little bit. go to their Patreon site, uh, pay your monthly subscription, and away you go. I think you can even spend up to 20 bucks if you want to. You can get the gold elite status. Uh, but they're great guys. they have a hell of a podcast. It's fun to watch them grow um, as podcast hosts. So we hope that you would tune in the Looking Glass. Duck Club podcast. Also, we're brought to you by Gun Dog Outdoors. Take care of your four-legged critter. The quick-release system ensures that that dog is where you want it to be, and it does not take a step forward until you're ready for it to. Um, I, tell you, I, I use it every single morning. Hook it onto Lou. It's easy to use. Pull the chain, and then there he goes um, when I, whenever I'm ready to release him. It's got anchors and different hookups to where if you're hunting out of a boat or a pit blind or whatever you got, you can always set up your quick release system. Works everywhere. Also, they've got the field trauma kit, which I think every hunting bag needs, every pickup truck needs. Um, Stop bleeding, stay warm, matches. I mean, it's got it all. Um, Alex Langbell has taken his career as a first responder, and he has put it all in a little bag for you. So if something bad happens, either to your hunting buddy, your dog, you're ready to go. So check them out at Gun Dog Outdoors and at least get the Field Trauma Kit because you need it. Also, we're brought to you by Steak Plains Meats. If you've seen the price of hamburger meat at the store, you would know why so many people are starting to buy bulk. They're getting these whole uh, whole steers. They're getting these whole beefs delivered. Um, If you've got the freezer space, it's definitely worth doing. Uh, hamburger meat's getting ridiculous. All the meat is getting ridiculous right now. But if you can, if you've got the storage, I would say everybody needs to stock up, buy in bulk. You can go to Steak Plains Meats down there in Crosbyton, Texas, um, and they will deliver to you.
1: They do. They do custom order steaks. They do it all. It's just a nice old fashioned meat market. And that's what you need. And I'm telling you we just got a, we just got a whole beef here delivered at the lodge the other day. It'll get you it's gonna get us through the summertime. We got three families. We'll take turns well not take turns, we'll just get whatever we need to get out of it. Hamburger meat, yesterday I checked on price of hamburger meat, almost seven dollars a pound. Ridiculous. Yeah, I mean that's what a steak was not long ago. Yeah, and so you, you know, if, if you're on if you're on a budget, you know, take save a month's worth of money, go get your stuff, and save that meat because meat's gonna be in high demand if you're buying it off grocery stores all the time. There's plenty of cattle in Texas. Buy it local. Go to a local p- p- meat place like Steak Plains Meats. Last but not least, we're brought to you by Stanfield
0: Hunting Outfitters. If you're wanting dates for this coming waterfowl season, uh, you better get on the horn within the next couple of weeks because number one, we sell out most of our dates the year before. And what dates we do have left, uh, they're going pretty quick.
1: I've got right now the week before Christmas and the week between Christmas and New Year's, I still have some dates open. If you want any of that, you better call me pretty fast. November dates are going real quick. we got an extra week of season we're going to get probably the November 5th week, so I have some of them dates still open. But if you want dates and you want on our calendar, you need to let me know pretty damn fast. And yes, I do answer my phone. had someone ask me that again today. It's really Jeff. Yeah. Is this really you, Jeff? Yes. Uh, Nobody else is going to answer the phone around here. I don't even know how to answer it. (laughs) Too fancy. Anyways, call me or send an email goose at west, dot net or jstanfield68 on Instagram. Thank you so much. God bless y'all. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, this episode
0: of the podcast, we are joined by Corey Lucas of Cedar Run Decoys. Uh, he hand carves decoys. This is a fascinating conversation. Uh, the amount of time and energy and effort and the craftsmanship that he has developed um, over his years of of hand carving decoys is an amazing episode one of my favorites had a great time with him Um, if you're in the market for a hand carved decoy i highly recommend you check out some of his work great guy great interview we hope you enjoy it here he is Corey lucas
1: And welcome to the Big Honker podcast, brought to you by our friends at Lucky Duck. I'm Jeff Stanfield with the world famous Andy Shaver. You know, the introduction is
0: that's that's like my deal, and I I hit that one in the sweet spot.
1: I don't even think people even notice your. Sweet you got to come no. down. You
0: got to come down at a certain time. You got to turn the cameras on,
1: and it's about the three, two, one,
0: boom. That was a dinger. Well, no,
1: I've got to match what up your about. three, two, one, boom. Do you remember how we started that three, two, one, boom? I have no idea. It's just an accident. I don't know. I didn't know what to say. Well, you still don't. You go three, two, one. I go boom. So there we go. All right, with us today from I think it's Battle Creek, Michigan. Am I right? That's right. Close
2: well, Plainwall. Plainwell, Michigan.
1: How far is that from Battle Creek?
2: About a half hour. We just oh. moved uh last year, so I don't. I don't. It's not that Battle Creek's a terrible place, but I'd much rather be associated with Plainwell.
1: I'm assuming Brattle Creek must be not be a very good place to be is what I'm getting at. What about you, Andy? I'm starting to wonder. It must be a democratic rein place.
2: Oh, yeah. There sure. you go. It used to be the – it still is a serial city. That's what they're known for, serial. Cereal. But well, a lot of those industries have moved out. So
1: You know, they had a, a thing on Netflix, a series called Battle Creek, and it's about an FBI agent there. And there's a lot of shit going on there. So you could <laughs> Run by Democrats. It's a blue city. Anyways, well, from... Uh, hold
0: on. It'll explain. It was about an FBI? Like, it was a true a,
1: story? No, it was just a series on Netflix about an FBI agent that lived in Battle Creek, Michigan. Oh. And they had cereal hay and... You have know, like, a cereal festival, yep. right?
2: Yeah. 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 I mean, that's what they're known for. But, like, Kellogg's is moving out of there. That's the big one. Post is pretty much moved out. So... So what the hell,
0: what is it about Battle Creek, Michigan that all these cereal companies... That's where it started at. Let let me give him a
1: little, let me give him a history (laughs) lesson. School me, Jeff. Ding, ding, motherfucker. School's in session. First of all, Corey Lucas with Cedar Run Decoys is on with us. Okay. Used to be from Battle Creek. The shithole that is Battle Creek, Michigan. (laughs) Battle Creek, Michigan is where... My
2: wife's listening. My wife's listening. She's a Battle Creek native. She's going to love that. (laughs) Well,
1: sorry, (laughs) ma'am. Hate to tell you this, but you're moving on up when you got out of Battle Creek. The, yeah. the 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 cereal company there, Kellogg had a had a um, a hospital, and he was a doctor there, and and he treated crazy people. You fucked this all up. No, already. But no, I ahead. have not go either. Ahead. Anyways, he had a a sanitary. A, what do they call that? A, a were they crazy? A fucking wacko ward there? Like asylum. A, a, asylum, yes. And he treated people, and people would go to him for all kinds of ailments and stuff. And he came up with this. A cereal with mm-hmm. this corn cereal to, and brand to make people say shit and be healthy, he thought. Well, w- one of his patients there who was trying to get himself better was a guy named Post. Post went to work, w- was there, learned this secret formula, started his own cereal company, and that's where you have Post and you have Kellogg's. Post. In Michigan. Yes. In Battle Creek, Michigan. Marjorie Post was the girl. Her dad died at a young age and she inherited this. and They didn't think she could run it. Well, she did run it pretty good, but she had the insight to buy birds, frozen foods, and how they would free flash-free stuff, and that's birds, frozen foods. She built a place in Florida called Marlago, and that's where she. That's where she her, and that is where Trump is now. And that's the what? basic story about Michigan and cereal, but that is the cereal capital of the world. Are you pulling that? Like, do you have Wikipedia up in front <laughs> no, of you, and you're just reading it? Like, how do you like? What? Where's this coming from? <laughs> I'm a lot smarter than I sound. <laughs> The, and, I, and i'm a lot smarter than my writing which is gr- grammatically not correct so but i i read a lot and i pay attention a lot do you do i have any wikipedia in front of me does, Andy? no
0: and you did it all online like it's on youtube so like you can see um plus like that would that would have been some fast our internet is not fast enough yeah. for that for him all to right. pull that out well of i this,
2: i, I of got, got mad respect for that that <laughs> being able to pull that kind of information up just off the top of your head that, not they, sure. that Now, is do you from the want to know how
0: head. he came up with cornflakes? The true story about how he came yes, up with
1: Yes, they wilted flakes. overnight. No. Yes, they did, too. I'm they telling you them out and why they got soggy. he did it.
0: Go ahead and tell me. It was because he was a, he thought <clears throat> what you ate made you horny. <clears throat> so he thought if he could make a bland-tasting food that you could sustain yourself on, you would not have sexual desires so he
1: made cornflakes.
2: Well, <clears throat> didn't didn't they start like the 7th at 7th Day Adventist Church, dude? Is that a thing? I that that I don't
1: I don't know, know, if you guys are, that I don't know for sure, but do I do I know. do know this. They they that's why he made cornflakes. The breakthrough with cornflakes is is they set them out overnight and they, they and they wilted up and they figured out, you know what these things That's how the cereal the cornflake came around. Post Toasties used that same deal to make come up with Post Toasties, but it was by accident that they did it. But that's that's how the cereal business was boomed. Was that, and it's a multi billion dollar industry. And I would like to go to Battle Creek because I'd like to see the two mansions there from the two families.
2: Well, I mean, that might be one of the only reasons to go back there.
1: I have um, no other reason to go to Battle Creek, Michigan, other than that. I do love Michigan. I'm telling. I've got you, a lot
2: of friends there, so I'm, nice. I'm not trashing on it too hard. I just I, I'm not from there. I'm from the boonies. You know, I'm kind of up in the in the country north of Battle Creek, so. um, that's, uh, that's why I couldn't really relate to it too much.
1: But didn't you just recently come here? Yeah, we were in Indian River, and it was absolutely beautiful. Mm-hmm. And we're going to probably go back to Upper Michigan next year. I love it. Michigan is a beautiful place. Great people. Y'all just got that fucking ignorant bitch in fucking Lansing <laughs> that's ruining the whole country. Or y'all's whole state. I knew that was
2: coming up. I <laughs> oh. knew you couldn't go through this whole podcast he without a it. Whitmer reference.
0: He didn't make it 10 minutes. And I've
2: got you
1: to know.
0: retract something. That is, This is just an urban legend to stop masturbation. John Harvey Kellogg advocated against masturbation and recommended cornflakes as a means to stop masturbating. But the cornflake cereal was invented for patients at the mental hospital. It was never actually advertised as an anti-masturbatory morning meal.
1: I thought prostitutes were designed to keep you from masturbating.
0: <laughs> I just think there were a lot of poor people, and that's all they had to sell them.
1: The healthiest people in the world are fourteen-year-old boys, and they all masturbate every time they shower. So what's the problem?
0: Okay, um, that's the truth. I mean, uh, well, is it is it a lie? I don't know. I was busy at 14. That's so I didn't
1: right. have, yeah. I didn't, no, I was <laughs> yeah. busy with other yeah. stuff. I don't have time. Yeah, bullshit on that. I so anyways, you're a biologist, correct? Yeah, I,
2: I would say I was a biologist up until about eight months ago um, when I, when I kind of transferred into full-time here at Cedar Run. But yeah, my, my background's in biology. Um, that's kind of what, what kicked off this passion.
0: What, how, how did the two tie together? Like, what do you mean you say biology kicked this off for you?
2: So I, you know, I've always kind of been an an outdoors kind of guy, even as a young kid, you know, running down to the local stream, fishing, playing in the woods, you know, like a lot of people in Michigan grow up doing, um, kind of got tangled up in the civil engineering world for about 15 years. So that's kind of where my career started. And then I just couldn't sit in a cubicle any longer and do that kind of work. So I just started following what I felt my skill set was best suited for, and that was um, wildlife biology. So went back to school, got my degree in biology, worked for Michigan Department of Natural Resources for, for a few years while I was getting that degree. And then I ended up uh, becoming the operations director at a Environmental Research Institute where we did a lot of wildlife habitat work a lot of research on various uh game species and non-game species so you know just that that involvement in the research end of things and the habitat end of things and at that same time I was going back to school to become a biologist I got involved in duck hunting so everything kind of came to fruition all at the same time like in I grew in all those areas in that that same decade so um it's that's kind of been the progression for me.
0: And then, so that is when you started, so you didn't waterfowl hunt as a kid as much, or did you, your passion just wasn't as what it is now?
2: Yeah, I just didn't know about it. I mean, there's no one in my, you know, I I tell people this and they're kind of shocked by it, but there's no one in my immediate family, no one in my extended family that hunts. So even though I grew up farming and I grew up in a rural um, community, by no one on my dad's side of the family, no one on my mom's side of the family. My mom had a big has a big family. Um none of my brothers and sisters, uncles and aunts, nobody hunted. So I didn't have any resources there to teach me from a young as a young kid. No one fished either. Or if they did, very little. And so I, you know, where I grew up, we had access to a trout stream that was, you know, a few hundred yards away. So I'd spend every summer day down there. And that's kind of I just grew Kind of by my own will mm-hmm. in those areas, and then I had some buddies that got me into deer hunting when I was in my teens, and then I just deer hunted pretty religiously until my right around my late twenties. And then I had a couple buddies who have been bothering me for a few years to go duck hunting, and then i I got married, and actually at my in-laws at the reception, these buddies came over and and we're all standing out back, and they got a seven acre pond back there, and these ducks are flying around. they're like, dude, you got to get into to duck hunting you got to hunt this you know and so I did and it was hooked I was hooked on day one so
1: now what's amazing is is you're carving you're a very you're a very accomplished carver I mean there's not a lot of guys that carve decoys and make a living doing decoy carving but That's true. you learned how to do it by getting a book at Western Michigan College correct
2: yeah I mean I it was YouTube was available at those times um, but it's not something you really learn on, on YouTube and you, it's hard to learn something like carving without doing it hands on, you know, or, or learning from somebody who's showing you right there in that moment. Um, but I started with going, you know, when I was going to school, I went down to the basements, I had to go into the basements of Western Michigan university to find these books, but they had carving books. They had like three or four carving books and they had patterns in them. So I pulled those patterns off and I, uh. I was able to whittle something that looked like a, a duck. In fact, it, my first duck was a blue winged teal because I figured start small. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I kind of played around with that for a couple of years and then I got connected with a, a master carver who actually owns a, a carving supply company here in Michigan called the duck blind. So Willie McDonald, who owns that kind of took a class, by from him and that kind of just sparked a few things in my mind. It got me to see the bird a little bit better. And I had been accustomed to holding birds, you know, as a hunter, and I was working for the DNR, so I, I was banding ducks. So I was really accustomed to seeing how ducks look and the feel for them and things like that. And so, um, yeah, a lot of it was self-taught, but I was able to have some guidance along the way. Um, well, you- but I, I like to learn kind of the traditional way. I just, if you get caught up in YouTube and Instagram and learning everything that way, you're just kind of, you're cookie cutter and everything. You're just doing something someone else has already done. And I didn't, I didn't really want to do that.
0: Did you work at all with what, I mean, going back to Jeff's joke as a 14 year old. So, I mean, obviously that, but had you ever like carved or, or anything like that uh, growing up?
2: Yeah. You know, me and my, Brothers when we were about eight years old carved like a nativity scene out of two by fours Wow I don't know why it's just random My dad was always an avid woodworker but we never really got into it He's got a, a nice woodworking shop and he's he's done that for our entire life right um, but it's it's funny because that's the one thing I can remember from about you know 25 30 years ago that I did was carve this nativity set and that I, I mean for a eight ten year old kid, <laughs> It was pretty, pretty darn good. Mm-hmm. So maybe it was just a uh, kind of this God-given talent. I, I mean, I'm still grasping with the word talent, but um, <laughs> it—I had a passion for it. I think way back then. And my dad always had the tools around, so we could play around with things like that.
0: It amazes me how things come full circle. Like, totally. Like, had you not had you not duck hunted ever, probably wouldn't be making decoys. If you'd still be in that cubicle. And you know there was this passion that you didn't even know that you had from the time that you were eight years old, and then it kind of reemerges in this organic way, two yeah. decades later.
2: It's insane. It's you know like a lot of people are scared. I had a lot of people tell me when I made the when I made the move to leave my job. I mean, it's I had a a very good job in in conservation. Like most people would be like killed for that job. Mm-hmm. Um, And so when I left, everyone or a lot of people were saying like, man, you got some balls (laughs) to do that. And I'm like, well, this isn't the first time I've done this. Right. Like I left a really good career in civil engineering to go into wildlife biology. So it's not the first time I've made that leap. And I also believe like like you said, I look back at all those things that have come to culmination now. It's kind of like led me to this point and led me to this point where I could be successful at it. And do some things that maybe haven't been done in the, in the carving world yet. Or incorporate some other aspects of duck hunting into the carving world. So, yeah, you're right. It's It's been a culmination. Are you happy? Yeah. Oh, that's, yeah what, that's what counts. I mean, it's, it's work. Like People will say, hey, I'd love to you know carve. It's like you guys. I'm sure people are like, oh, I'd love to hunt. Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's work for you guys, right? And it's it's work for me. So it's a lot of, you know, it's still 80 to 100 hour weeks to get get jobs out the door. Um, but I'm not complaining. I if, mean, it's, that's,
1: that's why I'm doing it. If car so. if you, if it's something that you like to do, then it makes your job a whole lot. It, it's not always going to work. Every, every job has got something bad every, every day. Everybody that has, that's doing what they like has a day that they don't enjoy that day or an hour or something, but that
0: fucking cubicle looks nice every once yeah, in a while. But,
1: <laughs> but it's like a truck driver. I, I like to drive and stuff, and I could have been a truck driver. I would have enjoyed that because I like seeing a lot of things. There's a lot of truck drivers that listen to us. They're thinking, oh, I trade with you in a heartbeat. Well, if you like to drive and you like the open road, that would be a fun job to me. I couldn't do a decoy carver because I don't have the patience. Now, I would like to carve a decoy on my own one day, and that's something I would like to do. The hard part to me would be the painting. Is, yeah. that, is that the hardest part?
2: Yep. Most people can carve a good looking bird or a decent looking bird, yeah. and even like, paint is like you might be able to get something to look like the bird you're you're trying to carve um it's just like taking it to the next level and there's a lot of different levels and as you know jeff you know collecting decoys there's a lot of different levels in the decoy carbon world i mean you can get into immense detail or you can just you know basically paint a milk jug type type thing so it's there's a lot of different levels you can get into i have to I have to stay in my lane and kind of stay in these gunning decoys that, that balance detail and, you know, kind of basic patterns. Um, but I think, I think almost everybody could carve a decoy. It's just a step-by-step process. But like you said, the, the, I think the talent or the skill comes into the painting aspect.
1: That's what I noticed the difference between the decoys that I have here, like sitting in front of me right now, I've got a John Kishinsky done this for me. And this is the one of my dad. That's my dad. Oh, you, I, I, Everybody can see it on the YouTube. This is the video. This is my dad right here. Now, his ashes are in this one. And then I've got a jo, Captain Job's one here. That's the world championship from Trevor Shanahan gave us. That's up here also. Well, they're, they're both, they're different type decoys, but they're both collector's items to me. I, I like them. I enjoy them both. At my house, I have a, uh, an old cedar, canada gunner decoy that's got splits in it it's it's old it's kind of got has cracks in it and splits and that decoy's got to be 50 to 70 years old and i don't even know where i got it from but i had two of them but one of the neck snapped on one of them and michelle threw it away she just and it just wears <laughs> me out that she ever done that but i've got one of them still there but yeah yeah i think you you nailed
2: it it's that's what i liked about the decoy carving world too is that nothing's junk yeah really because it's it's a balance between that artistic you know kind of an art piece and a, in my case a functional piece and so like are you gonna walk up to an artist and be like yeah that's junk i mean some of us might to some people but generally you're gonna be like oh that's cool because it's different or it's unique
1: yeah i i took art appreciation class in college and i had a professor and he was a real twat waffle but <laughs> he was a, he was an art teacher and me and him had some discussions, and he did not like me at all. He did not like anybody. He was a jock, and I think he thought I was playing college football. But anyways, we got into it it's one time. dick
0: all, you're all, all the time here now. Well, I probably
1: <laughs> was. But we had a he had a painting of, a, of a, an eggplant and an old gourd or something, and he was just admiring it all. And I was like, what the fuck? It's, that's nothing special about it. And he asked me, he goes, well, who, who's your favorite artist? And I didn't want to say Georgia O'Keeffe because she is a good artist, but not my favorite. And I said, I like Terry Redlin. He goes, That's not art. What do you mean it's not art? Yeah.
3: Yeah.
1: I said, He's more successful than whoever done that fucking eggplant and squash <laughs> deal that you've got here. And he did not like that. So I made a D in his class and I was probably happy I got that D. <laughs> but how can you not call Terry Redlin a great artist? Good. I don't know. Do you not like Terry Redland?
0: No, he's fine, but, I mean, yeah, yeah, he's, I think he's a good – I don't know where the guy was getting at. I don't know.
1: Because he, he, his yeah. his art wasn't – It wasn't his style. It wasn't his style, and so he didn't like it. But he was putting it down, but <clears <clears <throat> it's all whatever you like. Like, there are all kinds of decoys out there. There are some that are really – I don't know what you'd call it. Not prehistoric, but they're they're just – they're nothing fancy. And to me, they're as cool-looking as one that's painted perfect. In the, some of them are too pretty.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's the balance that I've found too. And and honestly, I have to make money doing it. So, like, if I spend eight hours painting a bird, I I can't make a living doing it. So I have to I have to do something that's acceptable enough where, where people feel good about putting it on a shelf because a lot of people do purchase them just as gifts, you know, and set them on a mantle. Um, but I also have to keep them affordable enough where people can can hunt over them. And I've gotten, you know, large rigs that I've done that, you know, I got to keep the paint somewhat basic so that, you know, it doesn't cost them a fortune to build a rig of a hundred birds. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, yeah, it's a balance for me. And it's definitely, my heart was always in the hunting side of it. And what art The art side of it was not ever on my mind. Um, it's always been like, I wanted that was my initial thought was i wanted to build ducks so i could hunt over not because i wanted to put them on a mantle and say oh they look cool and so like at the core of it i want to stay based in hunting that's who that's who my you know my clientele is that's where my passion is that's who i hang out with you know so that's that's kind of where that's my
1: my sweet spot you 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 hit on something i had a client of mine years ago and i was always i thought he's a cool dude and these are the kind of guys that you have as customers he had two dozen teal decoys that were hand-carved, and he hunted over them on his own, and he carved them, and he he hunted them, and he used an old double-barrel Parker shotgun or something, and I thought, that's a cool dude. When I get old, I want to be like that. Well, I'm old now, and I never made it to that, but what a cool dude, though, that hunted over decoys. He carved himself, and when he showed me his decoys, they were nothing fancy, but I thought, man, how that what an interesting fellow, you know? You can, you can hunt over some G&H back then, teal decoys, or you can hunt over some. You carved yourself. And I'm sure his grandkids or somebody hasn't. Now, he's probably, his kids probably sold them for $10 a piece at a garage <laughs> sale. But what But what a cool dude. And those are the kind of guys that you have as clients, don't you?
2: Yep. What yep. A- I've had – you know, there's a lot of it over on the East Coast. So, yeah. you know, we're here in the Mississippi Flyway, and there's there's some uh, decoy tradition if you go over on the east side of the state, Saginaw Bay, Lake St. Clair. Um, and even down, you know, as you go down the flyway, Mississippi and Arkansas, there's some, some decoy history there, but where you really hit it big is over on the East coast, you know, your Atlantic flyway, there's still a, a lot of people over there that hunt over hand carved or traditional decoys. So that's a, a lot lar- of a, a big, or a large amount of my clientele come from the, the East coast and they'll do anything from, you know, like three dozen to I've had, you know, well over a hundred decoys in a rig and it, depending on what they're hunting, divers or dabblers. And so like, they really, their, their whole goal is to hunt the traditional way and then pass this down to their kids, you know, and we do, we customize them in a way that, that, you know, they're, it commemorates them. So the keels are usually engraved with their name or, you know, icon or whatever. Um, and that's a way for them to kind of ensure that their legacy is getting passed down too. I've
1: that's got, badass. What gets me is I've got a job canvas back in my in my office in my case, and that sucker weighs, I don't know, three four pounds maybe. And I I couldn't imagine trying to carry two dozen of them suckers into the damn into, yeah, into the hunt.
2: Get, they get heavier when they're wet. <laughs> I mean, I don't Whew. I don't care what you do to seal them up. They're they're gonna get heavier. And that's that's really is a concern of a lot of the, the waterfowlers out there, especially on those bigger rigs where you gotta look at weight, you know, weight capacity in a boat and you've got a hundred birds and they're made out of cork with weighted keels, um, you really start to try and whittle that no pun intended, but whittle that that weight down.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, are your are your decoys made out of cork?
2: Yeah. Yep. Out
1: of cork. Now this- yeah so
2: the, the cork bodies basswood heads.
1: Okay, now this is going to be a stupid question, and this is going to – anything that I said earlier that might have made me sound kind of smart, this is probably going to end all of that right now. Because I got this from my wife, and she's a blonde. And I married (laughs) her because she was really good looking, not because she was really smart.
2: Oh, we're on the same page, but my my wife's pretty smart. I'll I'll give her that. She's smarter than I am. Well, my
1: wife's got two college degrees, but – You know that doesn't mean you're smart all the time. Anyways, she's an intelligent lady, but sometimes she has some she has blonde moments. She told me that cork is a shortage now because of the wine industry. Is there any truth to that? That's a no. So answered that.
2: I that's not a stupid question because I don't know the the honest answer to that. I'll tell you that a lot of the cork that's used here is a byproduct of the wine industry. So when they take that cork and they stamp out those those uh, wine corks for bottle stoppers. They grind up that excess and then they bind it back together into big sheets and that's what i work with um you know the the suppliers out of portugal so just like anything you know right now it's prices have gone up mm-hmm. dramatically because of the the shipping costs and just labor costs right but the cork the the cork itself is a hundred percent renewable because they're just stripping the bark off the cork tree so they they really shouldn't unless you have this huge spike in in wine consumption, which we had during COVID. Yep. Right. So there there may be some truth to to a slight shortage there, but I think it's probably in shipping.
0: Do you still have your first uh, your first carving? Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's a it's embarrassing. It's it, most carvers will take a pattern on their first decoy and will start out life size, and by the time they're done with it, it's about half. <laughs> Half size. Half half That's what size half is supposed to, to be. Pathetic. It's do you so have it?
1: Do you have it by you?
2: Oh, I can grab it. Yeah. yeah I'd, like to, I'd like to see it.
1: Jeff yeah. wants to see if he. I'll can grab. grab
2: it I'll grab my first. My first two.
1: Okay.
0: okay. I'm sure it's just like anything. Like I, I can remember. There is
1: not a cork shortage either. <clears throat> there's not. No, <clears> he <throat> said. Actually, there's really an abundance of. The, it's cork oak tree.
0: Yeah, it's a cork tree, Jeff. No, it's Every, cork oh, oak. Everybody knows that.
1: Oh, do they? Um, where, where do they grow them at then?
0: Michigan. No. But I can remember when I was we first told you, when I was first learning how to goose call, like it sounds terrible. But you gotta you gotta start somewhere. All right, All right he's let's back. See what let's, you got. Let's see it.
2: All right, so I'm gonna show you my first. Uh, this is my first decoy I ever carved. This is a carved out of uh, basswood, and this is the the blue wing teal. So that's beautiful.
1: That's pretty damn good, if you ask me. <laughs> What's embarrassing about yeah, look that? At,
2: look at how small it is.
1: I, I mean, that's you know, you that's the size blue. of a teal. You shoot some little ones. This
2: this is my first cork bird and this was um after taking some lessons from somebody that that knew what they were doing um so this is my first cork decoy that's really nice very good And again what you see is a problem with paint i mean it's just paint is what you gotta just spend a lot of time doing
1: let me see the blue wing till again the first one with the painting
2: that's perfect
1: i think it looks it looks good beautiful (laughs) show do you have a do you have a blue wing till there that you've done lately
2: I've got a blue winged teal that I hunt with. Yeah, it's look right there, behind right.
1: me. And you've done it recently, right?
2: On uh, the last two or three years. L- yeah.
1: l- let's see the difference. All right.
2: I bet there's not.
1: I bet there ain't much I bet difference not either. A ton. No. People that are good. That's with That's really stuff. good though. I would. I would have been fucking. I've been showing that some bitch there band. I've been driving around town showing people.
0: My my first carving look like a fucking stick figure. Yeah. Compared to a, a, a real person.
1: Okay. Honestly, I've
2: only shown that that carving to maybe three or four people well, in my life that's that
0: changed person. now it's really good yeah <laughs> you showed it to a lot more just now but
2: that's <laughs> no awesome. like four or five now right yeah yep.
0: exactly it's just jeff and i
2: so this is one that i hunt i hunt over that's a cork that's well, a cork that gunner beautiful. that i've had for it's all dirty it's yeah. all muddy from hunt south I, I can
1: tell the difference in the beak and the head already between the two
2: and just the size <laughs> yes right? like it's hard, kind of hard to get those both, but look at
1: your, your yeah. first one is still very good. The painting is definitely different and the beak. Can you show, show that again? The beak is definitely the difference in the beaks too.
2: Yeah. And if you see it in person, there's, there's some different highlights in the heads and stuff that you can't see on camera. But, um, yeah, it's, that's what I like about carving. It's a growth process. You're never going to get, you're never going to reach your full potential. Right. Like it, it just gets better every single time you carve a bird. And so that's there's I think a lot of jobs. And I, I got this way, too, like especially in the civil engineering field where you feel like you just you kind of reached a point where you're like, yeah, I've got this. I'm going through the routine mm-hmm. with carving every single bird I carve. I'm constantly trying to get better and quicker, you know, so it—it it is something something that I'm going to continue to push myself, you know, until I'm. Until I die. And it's also a, a job and a passion you can do until you die. You know, it's not.
0: How long did it take you to do that first, the first
2: bird? Oh, probably 15 to 20 hours.
0: What is it? How long does it take you now? If you were going to do a blue wing teal, a blue wing
2: teal about three and a half.
0: Oh, wow. Wow. And that's paint yeah. painting, and everything.
2: Yep. Yep. Damn. Start to finish.
0: So you can crank you can crank it out and before lunch. If you start at nine, you're, you're you're wrapping it up right before lunch.
2: Yeah, you could if you didn't have all the, the dry time. times. Right. But yeah, just the number of hours. Yep. Yep. So you can. Knock and that's you the out only out. way. Go ahead.
1: You can knock you out two a day then.
2: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So how do you that-
0: how do you manage your workload? Are you carving all one day and then painting all the next, or do you kind of do a mixture of everything every day?
2: It depends on the, you know, where I'm at with orders. I generally am running, you know, 40 to 50 birds in the queue. So I've got, you know, I already know what my next 40 or 50 birds are on the orders and I'm trying to push them out. You know, I'm trying to get birds out every like no longer than three to four weeks lead time. So it depends, like I'll collect a queue and then if I got like, let's say I've got 12 mallards in that queue, then I'll do all the mallards at once carve them all out, get them all to the paint phase. And then usually I'll I'll start some other birds so that they can, the heads can be drying, you know, and then the next day I seal them. So there is, there's a, there's a lot of birds at different stages. Right. All the time. Now, so it's. Is fun. that
0: kind of hard uh, to, cause you know, for me, um, I don't know, it, it would kind of be hard to just kind of be everywhere all at once rather than you know, okay, I got to focus on just painting today, but that might not necessarily be the most effective way of doing it. You know what I'm saying? Right.
2: Yeah, I would love to it just be like, all I'm going to do is paint today. And there's yeah. been days like that. But like you said, it's not, then all of a sudden I'm a day behind on the birds that are following that bird because I didn't get those heads dried. You know, I didn't get those heads glued up. So it's, I have to bounce around. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of the larger orders, I will focus on just one order for like two weeks straight, right? Mm-hmm. Just to, just to get that out the door and then focus on my 10 other orders. So it's, it all depends on what's coming in the door. But, um, generally I like to be working a bunch of birds at different steps of the process, the whole time.
0: Now, is that something that did you just learn that on your own? Like, hey, this is the process that works best for me, or when you were going to the to this uh, renowned carver, did he kind of tell you, "Hey, this is kind of my workflow"?
2: Um, no, it's you know, it's been a process I've developed myself because it fits like my my style.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, there's not really. There's plenty of people produce mass. I wouldn't want to say mass producing, but producing a lot of hand carved decoys. They're not. They're not anybody I know. Right. To be honest with you, so I'm kind of developing my own systems. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the people that are carving a lot of decoys are either doing really, really minimal carving, paint jobs, you know, to to mass produce them, or they're they're spending you know 50 hours on one bird. Right. I. I saw in the market that there was kind of a a lack of access to these carvers that could carve a really good-looking bird for relatively inexpensively. And so I kind of I kind of fit in that that market, but there's not really anybody to bounce ideas off from and figure out what they're doing. Plus, like I said, I want to be unique and I kind of want to have my own way of doing things.
0: Right. That makes sense. Um how much did you, did you research the decoy market at all before you dove off into this? Or is this just kind of something that you, 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 know, you, you kind of got in where you, where you fit in?
2: Um, I had been carving for probably eight or nine years. And so I had been following other carvers. And, and one thing I saw that was kind of lacking was access to a carver. Like, how do you, if you want hand-carved decoys, how would you go about doing it? Right, right. If you didn't live next to a carver or know someone personally, um. So I just wanted to open the door for people, and so I started with like, hey, if I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna create a really good brand, in my eyes, a good brand, with easy access to ordering and prices, you know, and, and timelines. Um, that all those things were kind of in my mind, they were lacking a little bit. Um, and the other, like I said, the big thing for me was creating a brand that was more than just me carving decoys, Mm -hmm. you know, like in, in a lot of our social media stuff will be other, other things besides just whittling decoys. Um, because I had a background in conservation, I wanted to stay in that world. And so sharing with people, you know, other aspects of what I do, Mm -hmm. you know, whether it's duck banding or it's wild rice uh, restoration, just trying to share more of this holistic, Um, approach to to traditional waterfowling and and duck hunting and conservation more than just showing them my shop, you know?
3: Right.
0: That makes, that makes more sense. Um, How, how much do, do you pretty much have every duck memorized by now? Or when you start like uh, a mallard, do you have to pull up a picture of what you're wanting to do? Or do you pretty much have, uh, have all that memorized?
2: No, it's, you know, you, you kind of, brought up a good point there when I'm doing painting I have a big screen right in front of my paint booth and I have all these reference photos and I'm constantly adding reference photos to them because I don't want to stay in the same I want these to be unique to the customer so it's okay if they change color and right. shape um and so I've progressed in painting by using different reference photos like that's ultimately how I kind of change that scheme but nothing's memorized I still have just pages and pages of notes on like how to mix these these colors for mallards, you know, and then I'll add to those notes every time I do a a new batch. Um, The carving process, you know, when I first started, I'd have to do all these guidelines to make sure things were centered and, you know, they they looked right. And now I can get away with very few guidelines, you know, because you've done so many of them that You just know where things should be, and your eye kind of just adjusts to symmetry. Like you know, you can yeah. feel it and you can see it a lot better. So that's where I have to get faster. I had to get faster, and to do that, I had to try and take some of the steps out.
0: Have you had any like any accidents, like cut your finger or anything like that? That'd be <laughs> that'd be my biggest holdup starting to work with that wood like that.
2: That is my number one concern: is mm-hmm. injury. Because like, there's no one. He, he, like you can't keep up with producing these decoys if you if I get injured. There's not like someone who's going to step in and carve. Right. Um, and I've, I've I told my wife I'll eventually end up cutting off a finger, but it hasn't happened yet. I had a couple instances this this Christmas that I had some injuries, but they were they were unrelated to carving. Like I we do like like cut your own tree, you know, for Christmas time. Mm-hmm. Okay. Go out on the field. Clark and Ridgeway. I've done a ton of timber work a ton of timber work in the conservation world. Like I've used chainsaws, never never even nicked myself with a chainsaw for years and years and years. And we had, they gave us like these little hand saws, you know, mm-hmm. and I get under the tree and my, my youngest daughter's there, my wife and our two uh, nephews, and I'm sawing on this tree and all of a sudden I pull the saw out and it just, it just slices right through my finger. <clears throat> it just gapes it open, it's bleeding everywhere, my wife sees it, she's like, oh my gosh. <laughs> And it was right during the middle of like this big order. I had to get out the door by the end of the year, and it was ironic that I ended up like pretty severely injuring myself, caught in a Christmas tree down <laughs> and not carving. But that's been my biggest fear for sure. I kind of feel like I'm in that um, the same group as like that the surgeons, you know, where yeah, they're very your protective hands are
0: of their your hand. work. Your hands are your profession.
2: Yeah. Like, Except they're worth ten times what I am.
0: Well, yeah, outside yeah.
2: of that, I feel like
0: give it time.
1: Give it time, yeah. <laughs> you know. Just it's 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 a marathon, not a sprint. On your, can, can you pick Can you pick that old squall up behind you and show that to the camera?
2: Yeah, you want the the one with the long tail. Yes, or just,
1: the long tail uh, one.
2: Boy, you're a pain in the ass. I'm
1: looking. I'm looking at this look on his page. Just, look at that decoy. That is absolutely. Look at the craftsmanship on that. Beautiful. That is amazing. Now, is the tail a separate piece of wood that you stick in there?
2: Yeah, it's a. The tail is. Um, it's kind of hard to see on there, but the tail is. Basswood that's separately carved and then epoxied in there. So that one's not really a hunting decoy. So I've done like a bobtail version where you you have a more functional, you know, that's all epoxied. Uh, tail, that,
1: so a, that long-tailed one is absolutely, both of them are beautiful. That long-tailed bird is amazing.
2: Yeah, thank you. It's a big thing here in Michigan. Like I don't, long-tail hunting is has exploded.
1: We've got a couple of them mounted here that I had a guy from Michigan Or Wisconsin, I guess Dan's from Wisconsin, so he'd get mad about that. (laughs) Oh, yeah, nice move by Juwan Howard the other day, slapping the coach from Wisconsin.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm a Michigan fan, so that was kind of tough to – I don't know what you think about that, but um, we've had some excitement in our coaches both with Harbaugh and –
1: Well, Harbaugh uh, wanted out, but y'all just signed him to an extension. He didn't
2: want
3: it
1: out. He wanted the Minnesota job. They didn't offer it to him. Right? Yeah, I don't know what happened with that. Nine-hour like, meeting this. is what I saw. Well, in his nine hours, he lost a job, and they hired the guy from the Rams. But then Michigan that thought they were going to lose him. They signed him to an extension, and then Juwan Howard slaps the coach from Wisconsin, which Blake would probably enjoy that much. But what a fucked-up mess. You can't slap yeah, another I mean, coach. I don't give a shit what he te- calls you or what he does or what happened. You can't slap a guy like that. That's bad luck.
2: It'd be real hard to, to talk to any of the, the kids playing on your team – about anything they do on the court after that, right?
1: Or off the court?
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. We had a big brouhaha in a high school game here, or in our
1: area, not not from Knox City. So, as a school board member at another school, are you legal? <coughs> are you? Allowed it's on fucking YouTube, Jeff. Okay, so that makes it okay. Okay, Go it's ahead. on YouTube. So
0: this kid, they're just oh, they're just they're just why a husband and wife they're at this game, the, the losing. They're for they're rooting for. The team that ends up winning. As the kids comes off, he gets into a verbal altercation with You're opening up a can of worms. This old it's on fucking YouTube, Jeff. I know, but I'm
1: just telling you you are.
0: How am I opening up a can Go of worms? Go ahead. I'm not speaking in any specifics. I'm giving a general overview of what happened. Anyway, the kid gets in this old man's face. The guy's 67 years old. The old man kind of pushes him. A kid from uh, Basically the same the the town that ends up winning, you know, their their fight. But anyway, old man and a and a eighteen year old kid get into a big scuffle at a high school basketball game. All hell breaks loose on the court. I mean, it was a fucking it's on YouTube. You can look at it. Seymour Petrolia basketball fight. <laughs> they fucking it, it
2: go is. at it. You know, I was I was I, I I was fortunate enough to witness the malice at the palace. Oh, oh really? really? Yeah, I wasn't there, but I was watching the game. Editing, oh right, yeah, right, yeah. And I like that is ingrained in my head. Like, it was it was like watching WWE or something. You know, it's just unbelievable when you see that stuff happen. Like in real life.
0: It's crazy. There's some, and I guess it's because access to the players is so easy. It's much easier in a basketball game, but that's where you see all the big fights. Mm. It's not at a football game where you think it would be. I, I think s- it's just because okay. people
1: can get on the court so easily. I was at a Brewers Rangers game when they had a, a brew ha and it's pretty big fight. They fought for a while. Really? Fuck yeah. It's a big time fight. Uh, A guy I think Kevin Reimer was the guy's name that played for the Brewers and used to play for the Rangers and he kicked a guy with the spikes and cut the dude's fucking forehead open. I can't I don't remember all the specifics, but it was a big ass fight. And then um what else was I was at? Oh, I'll tell you one of the most interesting things I've ever seen is I took the boys when they were little to a, a SmackDown wrestling deal, mm-hmm. and it was The Rock and Steve Stone Cold Austin got there, and a bunch of, there ain't nothing better a bunch of fucking rednecks at a wrestling after they've been drinking beers. There was more action in the stands than there was actually down on the ring. It was greatness. I loved it. Yep. I've, my 9
2: year my 9 year old daughter like it's which is crazy cuz we don't watch it like it i didn't grow up on it we don't watch it but through school she's got connected with it and she's just a sweetheart you know like artistic mm-hmm. she loves professional wrestling really loves it. yeah so i'm going to have to take her it's, one of these days it's just, just
0: theater is all that it is i mean yeah. you know it's a redneck version of
1: Ballet? Well, not that, but like it's it's just it's it's Shakespeare, all that it is. Great it's just
0: poetry in
1: motion. Great athletes. For rednecks. Big guys that are great athletes.
0: They don't realize it, but yeah, you're you're watching a soap opera that's taking place in the physical form.
1: Some of those people still think it's real.
0: They can't by now, Jeff. Fucking nah. cats out of the bag. My oh,
1: they, daughters they... never thought it was real. But there's yeah, a lot she... of people that do. <laughs> They think this OS has got to be real. Well,
0: and I'm not saying that they don't take a physical – there's not, there's an aspect that is real, but the outcomes are definitely predetermined. So, predetermined.
1: do you think that Juwan Howard's five-game suspension, do you think that was enough? They should have fired – I would have fired him.
2: I thought they were going to fire. They should. I, honestly, I did. I thought – I was like, well, how do you come back from that? And it, it would be one thing if they were having, like, a killer season. I mean, I know that's sad to say, but, like, I think that plays – and plays a role if you're if you're one of the top teams but they haven't been playing well. Lot of, and something lot of, like that. I would have thought at least through the end of, the, you know, the rest of the season, maybe into next year some, some something bigger than 5 games.
1: Lot lot of drama there with the Michigan basketball, the Fab 5, and then that coach got fired right as the tournament started because he was going to take a job at Arizona, and then he goes to Arizona, Arizona State, and that's where the big point shaving scandal was.
0: From uh headache Huh? Headache?
1: Headache. Is that who you're talking about? The, the, that show that was on with the sports deal. and it yeah, was, it was the, Headache. Was that what? his name? I
0: think his name was Headache. Okay, he had, that,
1: that was the coach that was at Michigan was during the Fab five, five. Bad Sport on Netflix. On Netflix. Pretty interesting. Okay. I, I've been
0: meaning to watch that Malice in the Palace on Netflix. They did a whole big documentary on it. Was that Ron Artest it, in that? Yeah, I think so. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh.
2: Yeah, I, I, have a, I actually haven't watched it because I watched the real thing, and I was like, <laughs> I don't know what this is going to tell me any different, but – um, yeah, there was a lot leading up to that game. And so that's why that's why I was watching. I was like, oh, there's, there's some bad blood here. And sure enough, it just exploded in that
1: game. I would love to be able to bring a team from back in the past to come back to play today. First thing I would like to do is I'd like to see the 1976 Pittsburgh Steelers play today and they would get beat by 80 points. Yeah, first of all. <laughs> then I would like to see the the bad boys of Detroit play basketball against the Lakers or Golden State and watch Detroit beat somebody 62 to 40. And then people in the day today's NBA will be like, oh, shit, that's a whole lot different game. I'm going to oh, guess yeah. somebody like Nate Coldiron is going to call me out over that. Yeah. But.
2: So were you going for
1: Matt, Matt Stafford in the Super Bowl or do you not? Oh, yeah, yeah,
2: for sure. I mean, it's just to prove a point almost, you know, like they – they have talent in certain individuals at times that that are Super Bowl worthy. I mean, there's been plenty of players that have left even midseason have gone on to contribute to Super Bowl mm-hmm. teams. And it's, you know, it's I think everybody in Michigan, except my father in law probably, mm-hmm. was rooting for Matt Stafford. He was like, Well, look at Matt Stafford leaves and he's he's so good now, he's going to the Super Bowl. I was like, Well, He's on what? This. It's the team he's on, right?
1: <laughs> well, he blew some games for Detroit, too. He made a couple of – he he's made some bad dis- choices. I don't think he's the greatest quarterback by any means, but he's a no. very good quarterback. But He's got as many rings as Rodgers does. Detroit can arguably say that y'all have had the greatest running back to ever play the game and the greatest wide receiver to ever play the game.
2: Well, I, I appreciate that you've recognized that. I said that same thing to my wife, like, last week. She looked at me with, like, this – uh, I don't really like I don't get why you're telling me this
1: well, Look, she's, from Battle, yeah, was, she's from Battle Creek
2: <laughs> yeah it was like they've had the greatest arguably the greatest running back and the, like you said the greatest wide receiver and they spent their entire career there so we had no compare like we couldn't see them go to another team and and see where they went you know and and see if they had that opportunity at the Super Bowl and Matt Stafford's He's not on those guys' level, but he's a good quarterback. Yep. And to see him leave and to see him have success, I think everybody was kind of rooting for him. Yep. They had they were selling, um, they were selling, I think it was uh, Detroit Rams shirts. Here <laughs> in Detroit.
0: They need to drop a banner, like fuck it, just drop a banner, <laughs> put Stafford's name on it, like hey. Have his tenure at the Lions there, and then like
1: the one yeah. year. Yeah, just drop a fucking banner. you yeah. Lions. Close as close as you're gonna get. As to close to as a you're super gonna get. Banner. drop it. Y'all, dr- y'all drafted Roy Williams, correct? Yes. Yeah. Charlie Rogers, and then Calvin Johnson. Roy Williams was not bad when he played for y'all. He went to the Cowboys and he sucked it up. Mm-hmm. Charlie Rogers got drunk or something on drugs and was out of the league real quick. Then y'all had Dominican Sue. Didn't y'all? Yes great yep. great football player. Still is a good football player. So y'all've had some really good picks. you all hired y'all fired some good coaches though. Jim Caldwell yeah. Jim Caldwell was a good coach.
2: Yeah. I mean, who would have thought we would be wishing for those like maybe we'll reach the playoff days. You know, we're well past those. We're like maybe we'll get to 500. Like that's that's a that's being optimistic at, in any year now.
0: Okay, so just to I I've checked because I, I feel like i you you made me feel like I was speaking out of turn. there are seven major news organizations that are running that basketball fight story from our little area so
1: i'm not i'm not I in just the wrong can't believe here. that you I just I just think you opened up a can of worms. Why? I don't really care. Well, well are they if, are they gonna
0: have umbrage with Yahoo fucking sports? Because guess what? It's on Yahoo Sports. They right can't now.
1: get a hold of the Yahoo sports guy, but this 18-year-old kid's mama might be coming up here, crazy Karen, come on your ass. I didn't in town. say
0: anything. Jeff, facts are facts. What did, what the fuck did I say that was wrong? This
1: happened. Well, Yahoo's running it, Texoma Texoma Sports is running it. You are a school board member, so it's fine. I don't care. She ain't gonna get on my ass if she doesn't be like that's Andy you need to talk she to, will. not me. She will.
0: Um. So you you Clark Griswold, it you got your own Christmas tree. You cut open your hand. <laughs> How bad was this injury, and did it set you behind at all, or were you able to uh, meet your order deadline?
2: It you know it was one of those where I cut through all the muscle and oh, uh. where I could see I could see in there pretty good. Oh. Um, mm,
1: that hurts me thinking about
2: it. Yeah, it was the sharpest damn saw I <laughs> was like a head ah, ah. saw, you know, like a tree saw. So it's got those really deep teeth, right. and it just. Sliced it in three different spots all at once, and but no, nah, I tape it up. I've had I've run um, like power carvers across my knuckles. It like surface injuries, but I'm really concerned about like losing a finger or something like that. You know, on those late nights when you're working with the bandsaw and it's two o'clock in the morning and you're just trying to push stuff through as fast as you can. That's what's got me concerned.
0: Those scare me. I was watching a meat. I was watching a guy. Uh, he was cutting through bone. And I mean, he's just mm.
3: re- there
1: dumb. goes the thumb. Oh
0: boy, that you don't have to fuck up. You, just a tiny margin of error is all you're playing on. Let,
1: let me tell you, you'll be fine. We got oil field workers out here, and have you ever seen that old show uh where the guys the the bowler? What's that damn show called? A uh, Kingpin. Kingpin. Kingpin? Yeah, yeah. That, <laughs> that's, uh, we got some oil field workers out here that look just like that. So they keep, throw, you know, they got three fingers on one foot, and I mean, or on on hand it's just crazy they're not they're, not
0: they're not using their fine motor skills to so, pump out a de- yeah, gross just, motor
2: skills i've got a story for you so my um my wife's cousin i guess it'd be my is that a second cousin or whatever mm-hmm. um my wife's cousin he was in his shop and he he's a younger kid and he was using a miter saw and he's trying to hollow out like this box with a miter saw so he kept dropping it down and moving the box over a little bit and dropping it down and he kept doing that until, boom, he dropped it down on his thumb. And his thumb went, his thumb's gone. They couldn't even find it. Right? Like in the it's totally gone. And he was, he was 18 years old. He was in his senior year of high school. So they're like, you're young enough where we really don't think it's a good idea that you go the rest of your life without your thumb. Yeah. So they ended up cutting off one of his toes <laughs> and then sewing it on his, his thumb. Well, in the process, in between the time he had that surgery and he had lost his thumb, there was, like, a a two- or three-month period, and he was, like, really good at shooting trap. Mm -hmm. So he's on the school team, and he he ended up going and winning the state title with, you know, two months removed from losing his thumb. Um, So that was pretty impressive, but it was, like, some—it was on, like— all the, the major news outlets you know and the, like national news because they ended up cutting his toe off and sewing it on there and now i see him at christmas time and stuff and it's he, you can't hardly tell but um yeah that was pretty
1: dramatic
0: see but now he can't wear flip-flops so like you know you gotta like you gotta balance <laughs> things good
1: <laughs> god almighty <laughs> what,
2: that's what i'm saying it's not guaranteed yeah. it's right. gonna take
1: he can put in he can, I mean, he can wear go-aheads though he can wear slides Dude, since we're getting off the subject here did you see where the Norwegian skier's penis froze? That's not. That's Did not real. Yeah, it is too real. Is it, Look it up.
2: Yeah, it was on like on our local news. It was like the top headlines. Yeah,
1: guy's penis froze freezes during a. a that's it. That? that right there is an athlete. First of but all, it's the second time it's happened to me. Yeah, well, I mean, you think you get? I oh, think I'm not feeling my penis again. It's gonna <laughs> freeze. But how much
0: should you feel your penis? Because like I don't feel my penis right now. Like. Well, you're, mean, not,
1: you're not that kind of guy, Andy. How
0: much – well, that is true. <laughs> but, I mean, like, how, how much – How is he
2: the only one?
1: <laughs> like, what
0: is he doing <laughs> wrong?
1: And that's why there's only white guys in that skiing contest right there.
0: Finnish cross-country skier suddenly <laughs> suffered a frozen penis during the men's 50-kilometer race on Saturday. It was so frigid outside that the organizers – how did he not, like, get frostbite on his, like, fingers and toes and shit like
1: why is his penis the first thing that 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 goes big fella i guess i guess so uh, well he had a seven pound block of ice down there folks that slowed him down a little bit
0: well I, is it the is it the so it looks kind of like he's wearing tights maybe maybe it's improper gear but maybe he bundled up. well his he said and, it's
1: the second time yeah he ain't a quitter. That's for damn sure.
0: <laughs> no, I'd find the difference. But I'd pick up curling. That, that probably generates
2: more Well, Finn, anything.
1: how'd your race go today? Well, Mom, my penis froze again.
2: Oh, okay. Well, damn.
1: Look <laughs> that away, son. Admits his penis. He well, says, I mean,
2: he's got to be telling everybody. It's oh, on, like, yeah. it's on world news.
1: That's, you know. a, that's a real case of the Just blue balls there.
0: Suffered some hard luck. Well, there's some play on words. His <laughs> penis was a little bit frozen, he admits.
1: A little bit frozen. <laughs>
0: probably why he came in 28. Yeah. Well, that slowed him down a little bit. You can guess which part was a little bit frozen when I finished.
1: Which part was it, do you think? It's got to start at the head. The head or the balls? It's got to start
0: at the head and work its way back. Okay. Um, so, well, fuck, I don't even know where I was going with this, <laughs> Did you have to get stitches whenever you sliced your hand open? No. No? You no. just taped it up and away? How did they fall no. a
1: penis out, you think? In the microwave. I mean, <laughs> I mean, you get hypothermia, they put you in a a warm bath, right? Then they put some... They they get your blood and they warm it up as they circulate it through it. I mean, they give him a Viagra and give him a blood bath or some shit? I mean, what's going on here?
2: I think that'd be too much too soon.
1: You think so? Yeah. Yeah. It says here when the body
0: started to warm up, the pain was unbearable. I guess so. Oof. My hand went to sleep the other day. I know how this guy feels. There ain't
1: no sport (laughs) worth losing your penis over. Nothing. I don't give a shit. Super Bowl, nothing is worth losing your penis over, especially as a young athlete.
0: The worst I've ever been through was in Finland one time. Um, So do you know, I mean, do most, is that like a badge of honor among the decoy carvers? Like, hey, look here, I'm missing a a, a
1: (laughs) digit. Not if you do it over a Christmas tree.
2: Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, that was the embarrassing part is like I was there and there's all these little kids running around and, you know, other adults. I'm like, how did I, how'd I hurt myself here? But I, you know, I'll be perfectly honest with you. I'm not like really involved in the decoy carving world. <clears throat> like I have the people I connect with. Yeah. But you, like I don't do competitions. Like i I made a decision right off the bat. I'm like, this is for hunting. Mm-hmm. You know, if people like them and they, they think they're cool. That's great. Um, and I'll, I'll just let my customers, you know, speak for me, not blue ribbons. Um, so I never really got that involved in the, in the carving community, you know, which I, is,
1: I think something different I'm doing too. Right. I can relate to that because I didn't hang out with a lot of people in the hunt business. And I still don't. I mean, I'm friends with a lot of people through the podcast, but that was just not my, I had yeah. sit, so I understand completely what you're talking about. I would love to go to a carving, uh contest one time or, or the, or the convention that they have the Carvin convention, just cause I'm interested in see, I would love to go there just to see all that stuff. I there's mean, a
2: big one in, in Strongsville, Ohio. It's more of like, has got everything from like the decorative guys to the, the gunning decoys. And, you know, they actually have to function. So they'll have them in the pool and they'll have to self write. Th- so I like that aspect that there's, they're incorporating when, like the hunting into it and the functionality of it. Um, but I've been around enough people that do it casually to see where I, where I kind of fit. And I've, you know, like I said, I've been working with a mentor for almost a decade. So, you know, I've, I've gotten a lot of feedback and, um, and I've seen other students too. I'm, I'm actually going to start, um, offering classes up this year, um, for kind of the beginner carvers.
1: Where where is this, where's this
2: thing in Ohio? When is it? it's strongsville ohio i think it's strongsville maybe is the the biggest city um but it's i think it's the second week
1: in march it's sometime early to mid-march well your mom's lucky she almost had to go to ohio for a couple of days
0: (laughs) how are you going to do these classes is it going to be online or is it all going to be uh people buy tickets and they come to your shop
1: all
2: in person so i've got a um a facility that I can use that has uh, classrooms and lodging
3: mm-hmm.
2: in it. So it's a really good setup for it. And so that's, that's how I'm and in smaller classes, six to eight people. So that you can really, you know, when, when problems come up or they got questions, it's, you know, I don't have to stop a class of 20.
1: So right. I got a question for you now, On, yep. like the Buffalo head behind you, how big a block of wood do you start out with to make something like that? So they are two,
2: they are two different, uh, pieces so you got the cork body here i got it right here here's a blue wing teal so like it's a cork body basswood head mm-hmm. so you're starting out with you know square blocks of each of those the head's obviously fairly small um uh, the bufflehead head is is quite a small bird you know you know this from experience but like you can i don't know it's hard to see yes. there it's it's probably half the size of uh, like a bluebill. Um it's not very not very big block. And
0: how many fuck ups do you have in that before it's just it, it the it's no good?
2: Before
0: it wouldn't fit that decoy.
2: Um, I mean right now I don't I mean not to brag, but I don't have fuck ups. You don't They're, no.
1: So a mallard yeah. doesn't become a bufflehead later on. <laughs> no,
2: but it, I can see how it happened with a, with a beginner carver for sure. That's the tendency is to just carve it down. There's two things that beginner carvers do. They carve it too small. They just keep whittling. They don't know when to quit, or they don't carve things to the round. So their side pockets will be square. Um, if, you look at a, like if you look at this bird, you want everything to be rounded. Right. You know, and, and a lot of people just square it off. So those are the two common mistakes. But where I'm at right now, like there's no, the, there's no mistakes.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: What, only, ha, only happy accidents,
0: like Bob Ross says. Only happy accidents, no mistakes. <laughs>
1: yeah. The uh, that 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 cork that you had that you're making that decoy out of. What's a cork like that run for a decoy?
2: So there's a lot, yeah, there's a lot in costs of of materials. So. You know, a sheet of cork is gonna run you probably with shipping about 150 bucks, and you'll get you know 10 to 12 decoys out of that. So, you know, do the math on so that. So, 15
1: dollars per cork for a decoy is what you're looking at.
2: Yep, just for the cork, and then your basswood's gonna run you you know three or four bucks for a basswood head for a block that size, and then your eyes are you know four to five dollars for a pair of glass eyes. Um, and then you've got all your texturing and your sealant and your keel and the weights. And so there is, there's a considerable cost in materials, but you could do a a rig of a dozen yourself for probably, you know, I don't know, 400 bucks.
0: So here's my dumb question. The glass eyes, do do they come different, like different colors and and stuff like that? Or are they all, I'm looking at Ron's and it's just brown.
2: Yeah, no, they're all very specific for that, that species, and even male or you know hen or drake. So wow. there's there's a wide range of of eyes, and you got to make sure those are all matched. They're different sizes, the pupils are different sizes, the colors. So and there's a lot. Of, I mean, basically, you're going to taxidermy supply. Mm-hmm. Like you're thinking about it in those terms, you're using the same eyes.
1: Oh, okay. You know what's funny? The absolute to me worst carved decoy is a fucking wood duck. I don't know why. There's nothing about a wood duck that I find because I just, it's not something that interests me. Really? No, not That's at all. the number one. That is the number one. That's what one everybody deco- wants? Yeah. And yep. I just, I would rather have a canvas back, a redhead. I mean, just something that just.
2: What's the What's the aversion to to wood duck?
1: Like what? I'm just not a wood yeah. duck person. I think a wood duck reminds me of a Kansas City pimp. It's all color. <laughs> There's something about him. I just don't. There's just nothing about them that just, I just not, I'm just not a wood duck person.
2: I got, I got a buddy who's very anti wood duck, like very anti, because he's like, they're just not a fun bird even to, to hunt because they don't, they don't really decoy. You're not really calling them in. You're just, you just kind of sit on the X and you're guaranteed these birds. Mm-hmm. And so he's, he's very anti wood duck too, even here in Michigan. But generally, you know, people love the color. I mean, mm-hmm. that's the one they're getting to put on the mantle. I enjoy, like, if I was to carve one bird, if I could only carve one the rest of my my life, it'd probably be ring neck. There ring neck is, or shoveler. I really like doing shovelers too.
1: I got a shoveler decoy about three months ago, and I don't have it nowhere close to me. And I think it's a cool duck. Just something bad. And I've got a shoveler mounted that I think they is cool. They get a, cool a bad duck. rap. They did. They're a pretty duck. Right. They're a beautiful yeah. duck. They're, I Especially think they're right one of the now. prettiest ducks there is. That and a cinnamon teal. But I'm just not a wood duck. I mean, they got all the fancy shit on them and stuff, and I just don't. <laughs> Do you sell Do you sell more of, like, the
0: wood duck carvings to people that aren't necessarily hunters that are more, like, looking for just a shelf piece?
2: Yeah, like, you know, I've recently, in the past month and a half, I've done a couple rigs
3: mm-hmm.
0: of
2: wood ducks, but they tend to be, you know, like that 6 to 12 in right. a rig. Nobody's getting a bunch of them. So, yeah, a, a majority are just one one off that people are getting engraved and getting them put on shelves. And I do like urns to decoy urns too. Mm-hmm. Um so that's something that when somebody's just going to buy one bird, you know, they they want to they want something that looks pretty.
0: So what would you rather do? Would you rather do the one the one decoy or would you rather do like the dozen for the rig?
2: You know, it's I don't really have a preference. Sometimes just doing the one is nice because you can really, you know, pay attention to it and you don't, you don't have to try and match. Mm -hmm. Right. So like I do a set, I want to make sure that my paint colors and everything match throughout that entire rig. Right. You know, so it doesn't look like they were done by different people or at different times. Whereas the one, you don't really have that pressure or that constraint. You can kind of be a little bit more creative with that one. Mm -hmm. Um, but I don't really have a prep. Sometimes it's nice to just have 12 of them to do and have them all lined up and you're doing the same paint on all 12. So I, either way.
0: How hard is that paint? Like you said, you want, if you're doing a rig, you want it all to look the same. You want it to look like it's from the same carver, done at the same time. Is that paint a bitch to work with to get everything, uh, blended properly to where it, it all flows together from one decoy to the next?
2: You just got to make sure you're mixing quantities that are going to get you through every bird. Right. So like, even grays and you know you're mixing grays well if you don't match that gray perfectly you'll you can't get halfway through a bird and then have the have to go and remix paint you got to make sure you can get through that whole bird otherwise you'll see that that change in slight hue because there's not a there's not a system where i'm like measuring out you know you know grams of this paint and grams of this you know to get that right color some colors you can buy them just from the the factory that are already kind of in that that uh pre state so there's there's a line of paints that was kind of designed with decoy carvers and mm-hmm. so a lot of the colors do work well right out of the bottle
0: what was the hardest part of this journey for you is it was it the business aspect was it the carving was it the painting was it just everything all in concert together was there one part of this getting this up and running where you were just like i don't know if i'm ever going to get this
2: i think it's the like pushing through the 120 hours cuz I was working in the conservation world you know as my day job yeah. and then coming into the shop and working you know I'd work 60 hours in the shop you know so I was at like 110 120 hours a week in my you know like I would get up at 6:30 I go and do my day job come home have dinner get our youngest in bed you know, and eat family or eat a family dinner, go right back out in the shop till two or three in the morning mm-hmm. and do it all over again. And I did that for, you know, six to eight months as things were picking up and it's hard to push through that. And then once you quit the day job, you know, like the pressure and the stress to provide, you know, mm-hmm. becomes real. You don't have that safety net. So that's also hard for people is and especially for me is like not falling back into the safety net. Right. Like I could go get a consulting job or, you know, I could work part time, but I just didn't, I wanted like, this is what I'm going to do for the next 30 years, mm-hmm. you know, 30 plus years. I've made that commitment. It's not going to change, but it's tough to go through that. And it is up, there's ups and downs, you know, it's not always, you know, you've got, it's not always like you've got a hundred birds there to do. Sometimes you start getting down towards the end and you're like, Well, I hope, you know, I hope something comes along and it has, you know, I mean, God's provided everything along the way. So I've got, I'm pretty confident that this is, this
1: is the right path for sure. That is tough. Sometimes when you're waiting on that phone to ring, well, I remember days Mm -hmm. of sitting in that office thinking, God, I wish I've got a bunch of bills coming in. I sure wish somebody'd come book some hunts. And until you work for yourself, until you work for yourself, you don't really know that people that just go to work for somebody else and they know they're going to get a check every Friday don't realize, you know, they always bitch or complain. Well, I wish I had your deal. Well, they don't know what it's like to be sitting there waiting around. How's Oh, yeah.
2: Like like you said, Jeff, like they didn't, they don't know what it's like to go through those really slim times or those times where you're working for nothing. right? Like you're not making a dime. I didn't make a dime for two years. You know, like it's, you're doing, you're working a hundred hours a week and not making any money because you're just dumping it back right back into the business. We try and make it, get it to a point where it's, you know, sustainable.
1: We we lost so, we lost a group of hunters this year and um it was like a nine thousand dollar hit for me. And one yeah. of the guys I was well, yeah, I was sure hoping to get a big tip out of them guys. Well yeah, I was hoping to not lose nine thousand dollars. <laughs> I was expecting to. You know, you do everybody's payroll around here and that's that's a week's wages for everybody, so that's what I come yeah. to lost. But that's all part of doing business. So you take the good and the bad. Um you also do charcuterie char, char charcuterie, charcuterie boards. boards. Has has that done really well for you? It
2: it did initially. And it's like, I just don't promote it anymore because that's part of learning the business too, right? Is like, what do you want to be?
3: Yeah. What do
2: you, how do you want to be seen? Um, and I, I kind of made a decision about a year ago that this was going to be kind of a hundred percent focused on, on decoys and, you know, the hunting side of things. And so I moved to, started moving away from, you know, we did coffee too, which did really well you know and the charcuterie boards but like they don't they're not directly related to what I do and what I'm passionate about and I just felt like it was a time to kind of move away from some of that stuff um there's some things coming up like I'm a I'm a big turkey hunter so I've been playing with this idea and this this model for this turkey decoy that I'm going to see through this entire year so I'll give it plenty of time to, to work in the field that I'm going to be releasing next year. Like there's things that are in the works that I'm passionate about that are, are directly related to hunting, you know? And so I, I want to take the time to do those things and not take the time to do, you know, coffee and cutting boards and knives. We I mean, we did, you know, specialty knives too initially. Um, but I just wanted to focus on what I'm good at.
1: You know, there's a lot of guys know that are famous for being carvers, but there ain't one motherfucker out there that's known for being a charcuterie tur- board guy. So I don't blame you for that. <laughs> turkey hunting now. That, I'm not a turkey hunter. Andy's a big turkey hunter. I've never seen a hand carved turkey, but I saw a guy and I, and it's gonna, I'm going to bring I'm going to come back to this sandhill crane in a minute. But this turkey deal, what is a hand carved turkey decoy going to run? Because that's pretty cool.
2: I've I've got an idea that is. It's even in my eyes even cooler than a hand just a hand carved turkey. Um, it's it and I don't know if I want to let the cat out of the bag. Don't yet, don't don't do it, because I
1: don't want to ruin something that's a million dollar idea for you. But that's an interesting <laughs> deal. I saw it's, a guy-
2: it's like there's there's some phenomenal turkey decoy carvers.
1: In yeah. fact, I met one.
2: Um, he works with Boss. He uh, Steve uh, Bretel He's he carves this amazing turkey decoy where you, it's got two heads. There's a compartment inside of it, so you can switch it out from a hen or, or a tom or a Jake. Jeez, and it's just an amazing handcart. I I don't know what they run. I would guess two to three thousand dollars. Mine are gonna be in the four to five hundred dollar range, um, so, but a little lo, a, a lot different concept than that.
0: And then this will be for next year. You're gonna you're gonna release this for next year, so you're gonna like hunt over it this year and.
2: Yeah, we're going to take it to the, the national wild turkey federation um the annual the national convention next year and then that's kind of where i'll i'll unveil that but there'll be a lot of stuff leading up to it i just want to make sure i've got a good product um and i do a lot of turkey hunting and i, I run a lot of like learn to hunt turkey programs um so it's, it'll get a lot of use this this spring and fall
0: that's badass. I'm looking forward to seeing what uh, what you've got up your sleeve for that, because I also turkey, turkey What's, what's well. Steve's last
1: name that's got the...
2: Brettel? Spell that. It's B-R-E-T-T-E-L-L. B-R-T-T-E-L-L.
1: B-R-E-T-L.
2: B- yeah. Okay, I've got I think Boss, Boss Shot Shells, I think he's probably on some of their stuff. Yeah, like,
1: Brandon like, and him like, are Facebook buddies, or uh, Instagram buddies. He's got a lot of cool stuff. Yeah, he's How long amazing. does
0: something like Facebook. that take? A uh, to do a turkey
2: so so i'm not sure like i've got prototypes like glued up right now in the shop but um i'm not sure what steve like how much time he's got into it but mine will probably be in that like i would say six to eight hours range and it's just gonna be paint a lot of paint in the head
0: i can imagine so And that they've got that incandescent color the the fluorescent kind of green shit so oof
2: in the yeah, uh, it's going to be a strutting time, is what I'm starting with. So, yeah, like the head color, yeah. there's a lot of detail in that head.
1: Oof. and Steve does My a lot hat's of hats off to you, he's that's... got some grouse stuff too that's pretty cool. Okay, yep, sandhill yep, Sand crane decoys. I saw a guy had a post the other day about sandhill crane decoy, and I pissed him off, I guess, because <laughs> I asked, it was on one of the decoy forms. I said, Do you sell them? and I didn't get. Oh no, I don't. We just I'm making this for my friend or blah blah blah. It was like a no, big no. Yeah, oh, shit. Don't be an ass. I was interested in buying one. You know, I would like to have a sandhill crane, a wooden carved sandhill crane. I've never seen one before. Yeah, but, I don't
2: know why. Like, I would take that as a compliment. Well, right? obviously like, someone...
1: he, obviously he didn't. And I don't know what I said other than, do you sell these? Because I was really interested. But he said it took him a lot of time and work. Well, I figured that. I wouldn't expect him to say, yeah, they're 1995. But I was, you know, <laughs> what what do you sell them for? I mean, you know, and you put a picture yeah, of think, it up.
2: I would say anything with like Steve uh, Bertel's his like his turkeys. I'm guessing those are going to run. I don't want to quote them for them, but like probably $2,500, three grand.
1: Yeah, I mean, er, everything's got a price on the amount of labor it takes to do one. Mm-hmm. Sandhill crane's the same way. I know it's going to cost more than a bluebill does, but I would be interested in what it would have cost. I just thought it was really interesting until he knowed me like that, and I thought, hey, you're an asshole, so never mind.
0: <laughs> you were just being curious Was all that you were I, doing.
1: I, you know, and I found that's funny. On some of those decoy deals, people carve for their own, and if you ask, you sell them. Some of them get kind of touchy about that. You know? There's... I don't I'm understand gonna, that. There's some weird dudes. They're artists. I don't know
2: how many of them listen to this podcast, but, man, it's it's hit or miss with the carvers. Like, they can jump all over you and tear you <laughs> apart in two seconds. Or they can be... there's like Steve, for instance, just Steve and Willie, like two of the guys that I've I've talked to and, and dealt with, just phenomenal people that are willing to tell you all their all the secrets in carving and carving just guide you. And then there's just people that are just just terrible, you know, and it, I don't know why, why that 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 industry or that that type of art kind of attracts maybe some people that got bigger egos. You know, they're artists. That might be part
1: of it. They're artists. They're artsy fartsy, and it's the same with taxidermists. <laughs> taxidermists yeah. are either they're really the neatest guy in the world, or they're some weird fuckers. There ain't nothing in between in them. They're either yeah. really good, good guys, or they're you just don't want that. There's a reason they're stuck in a shop by themselves with nobody around them, and is what it yeah, is. Yeah, that's what
2: I've found too. But for sure, I've
1: noticed that with a, a couple of carvings. But I will, you know, that's how I've got my collection of my carvings. Is I'll see something I like and I'll ask about it, and. Half the time you get really receptive, really nice, nice, nice people that are interested. They want to sell their stuff, and then you, the other half of them are just total jackasses. And that's but the sandhill crane guy was not a fan of Jeff Stanfield's, I can tell you that, and I don't know what I did other than ask him if he sold us if he sold them because I thought it was neat because I'd never do seen. You one any, do you have any? Do you have any sandhill crane
2: decoy? Like, do you have a hand carved one?
1: No, no, I've never seen oh. one ever. That's okay. the only one I'd ever seen. Even that's what interested me about it. I've got, you know, I've got a swan. I've got all kinds of stuff, but I'd never have seen a crane decoy. I saw a guy the other day that's got some speckle belly decoys that were really cool, and I hadn't seen very many of those, that, and they were really good looking. I can't remember his name. He was a real nice guy. We'd be back and forth on messaging, and he was tied up for another year. He didn't have any openings for a year. but, But, you know, that's... People are interested, and I, I've never understood people that sell stuff that are that are shitheads to anybody that ask about their stuff. I got a guy calls okay. me about opening weekend of dove season. I'm booked up. He got all pissy with me because I was booked up. I thought, oh, <laughs> but I'm booked up. I'm sorry, but I, you know, I and I even try to call people back. I've had, I bet I've had fifty snow goose conservation hunt calls in the last three weeks yeah. or in a month. I get them all the time, and I try to call people back or email them and say, listen, we, we don't we don't sell conservation goose hunts. You know, instead of just not calling them back at all, but you know, it saved me a lot of time and hassle just to push and delete. But I try to be nice and call people back and say, "Hey, I appreciate you calling, but we're booked up for the year, or we don't have that available, or you know, I've got goose dates open still." And I and and so anybody calls me, please call. If I don't have a date available, then I'll tell you. But you know, I do have dates available for this year. But I can't imagine just being an asshole to people when right about shit. But you know, it's a world we live in, Joe Biden's yeah, I world. Just...
2: Like we go to these shows and stuff, and and you know we have booths set up, and and it's funny because you'll get people that come by and they're they're almost like offended at the price of some of these decoys, you know, like they're 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 offended by it. Yeah, it's crazy. Because they don't really have a reference, you know, they're looking at like an Avian X or something, you know, comparing it to a plastic. And so that's the tough part for me is like not taking offense to them being offended by it and being defensive and being like, yeah, but do you guys know how, how many hours I got into this and how much money this takes and the skills that you got to develop? You know, I don't really get into any of that with them. I'm just like, well, you know, it's not for everybody.
3: Right.
0: You know,
2: that's, that's usually always my, my response, but. That
0: would be tough though, because it's like, on the one hand, like, I don't know, you can be like me and like try to educate them like listen here motherfucker like there's steps here <laughs> like it did i didn't just shit this out i didn't just i wasn't born a, a fucking decoy carving savant like it took me right. x amount of years to get to yep. this point to be able to sell a decoy that even looks worth the shit that i'd put on uh, my my counter to sell right. to you
1: or to hunt over i mean you, well, to, uh, uh,
0: but then on the other side it's like is that even fucking worth the argument like just let him go on Yeah. so that's not my
2: clientele. Right, like that's not—they ultimately don't end up being my my clients. Right. You it know, doesn't matter
0: just, what you tell that guy; he's not buying a fucking decoy. No,
2: no. So like, I can't, <clears throat> I can't get caught up in that. Yeah. You know, it's similar to what you guys do, right? Like you, you develop this skill set over years and years to be able to charge somebody money for something that they could go do theoretically. They right. could go do for cheaper, sure. right?
1: Yes. Yeah.
2: And, and so it's like. It's hard not to take offense if someone came to you and was like, "I can't believe you guys charge that for a hunt, mm-hmm. right?" And you're like, "Yeah, but this is, like, this is my skills. These, I'm giving you my skill set and my resources, you know, and my time." And so I, I think it's pretty similar to anything that you've, you've worked a long time at to develop a skill, and then someone comes in and tells you, "I don't think it's worth that much."
0: Yeah, it's like, wait a second
1: been down that (laughs) everybody
0: just fucking flares up
3: but you go
1: fucking minute i've been down that road before people do not concept money a lot of times and not just like my wife when she's shopping but just the actual people amaze me i had a guy one time book a hunt eight people how much is it's three hundred dollars okay so he gets here with eight people you think it was 300 for the group Oh my gosh. And I can't remember the exact number of people, but it was a big group and this has been years ago, but I was like, yes, you know, and, and it was one of them deals where it was like, do you have an opening on a Wednesday? And it was on a Monday. And I was like, yeah, actually I do have a room on Wednesday for eight people. Okay. How much is it? It's $300. Okay. So he shows up. Not only did he show up to want to hunt, but he expected me to feed him, put him in a lodge and everything for 300 bucks. And so he goes, Okay, we'll settle up. And he gives me $300. I said, Okay. And the next guy looked at me. I said, You want to do, uh, do credit card, check, cash? We do. You do? Well, well, I thought he paid. He paid for him. And the guy, I mean, it's turned, oh. it turned into a big fucking <clears throat> deal. I'm like, Listen, dude. So finally, I told him, I said, Do you really honestly think I'm going to feed you, put you up eight guys for 300 bucks? A big whopping $38 a person or some shit? Really, honestly? Oh, no, I can't believe it's 300 a person. Have you checked with another outfitter anywhere? That's pretty much the going yeah. rate everywhere. Well, can you work us out a deal? Yeah, $300 a freaking person. You mean we drove out here to not get a hunt? Yeah, if you think you're going to pay $300 for eight of you, that's exactly right. But yeah, honest. I mean, that's,
2: that's good that you, like guides it's pretty easy to find comparable pricing right for yeah. guides yeah yeah, right like you can just look you can google it and you yeah. can be like oh well, this goose hunts this that goose hunts that yeah. that that's the problem in my kind of my industry is that there it's not easy yeah. to, to do a google search and, and figure that out like you can't like there's very few people that are listing prices
1: online let, let me right? ask let me ask you this do you have guys out there that buy three or four decoys a year to build their spread over a 10-year period yep See, I, I yeah. can see that happening because a guy but because the guy that's gonna be hunting over these is probably hunting on some property that he either owns or it's family land or he's hunting public and he wants to get away from using the plastic and, and give something to give to his grandkids and kids one day. I, I, I admire that and I think that's really neat. And I would like to have a guy that I don't know what you would call him, a naturalist. I would like to have a guy on the podcast to us that 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 is like kind of, Lee Chose reminds me of a kind of guy that would be somebody like that. Mm-hmm. Just just someone that that really appreciates the old things in life. I know a guy Yeah, that,
2: that's I ran into him last weekend. I met Lee last weekend. Did you got Turkey?
1: Bet.
2: Yeah. You did? Yeah. He was uh yeah, awesome guy. And but you can tell he appreciates that that traditional way of doing things and trying to keep things kind of focused on that or highlighting that aspect of hunting
1: i've got a guy in texas that hunts on the coast that hunts over and he hunts in my area not very far from me and he hunts with traditional he uses a parker shotgun and he uh he's got a bunch of old hand carved decoys that he's gotten off the east coast over the years and i'm i'm fixing to buy a widget decoy from him that he's used all these years it's all beat up and you know but to me it's got character and i can relate it to someone and to get that for me it means something to me
2: Yeah, there's a, there's a client of mine out on, he's Chesapeake Bay and he, he
1: kind of rotates between carvers. He's
2: got decoys from all over the country, you know, and that's, he kind of like, he wants to incorporate all these different styles into his, his decoy rig. And so that's kind of what he does on an annual basis is kind of look at different carvers and get some, you know, a few decoys or a few dozen from each carver. And then I've got, I've got clients that will do like, instead of getting, A bird mounted for the 41 species they'll they'll get a a decoy carved and maybe they rotate around carvers too but to kind of commemorate that that's
1: a really good idea i might have to try that Mm -hmm. i saw um i saw a post a couple of days ago on one of the decoy pages on facebook a guy's like hey could y'all help me with this my uncle died and i was in his basement and this son of a bitch has got hundreds of decoys there a lot of them wood carved and stuff i'm like well, I ain't gonna get no deal on this thing now. But I was thinking, man, I would have. Why, why couldn't I have found that before he got a hold of this page? I mean, there was all kinds of stuff that he had in there—old tins and old kind, all kinds of shit. And I thought, man, somebody is gonna take somebody to the cleaners on this deal, probably, or someone just inherited a ton of money. But
2: that's that's what I like about it too. You know, like besides just selling decoys to people and trying to earn a living doing that, like knowing that what you're creating you know similar to what you guys are doing you're creating a memory that like is going to live on for people you know that's that's kind of how i view some of the intrinsic value to this is that regardless of what happens in the future there are going to these decoys are going to be sitting on people's shelves or being hunted over for for decades right? right and there's not a whole lot we can there's not a whole lot especially in the hunting in the hunting world or hunting industry that you can buy and know that you're still going to use it in 30 years from now, or your kids are going to use it in 40 years from now, other right? A, like
1: other than a gun, you're right.
2: Right? Yeah, that, guns. I mean, no plastics, right? Like, <clears> not to, especially not to right slam on plastics. Yeah. Well, but, and that's a, it's,
0: that's especially the attitude right now is just let's mass market everything and let's get as much shit out there to as many people as we can, and but stuff like that doesn't lie. It doesn't. It doesn't. Get passed on to generations you know it doesn't right. it doesn't go from father to son to grandson whereas yeah, I think what you're, you're doing it, it's something that will appreciate in value
1: that Corey lucas first decoy you did a hundred years from now might be worth five million dollars you never know <laughs> i mean there how many how many of the original decoys that are worth so much money right now did those guys get rich off of carving none there ain't a guy carving decoys on the Chesapeake Bay in the late 1800s and 1900s that was getting rich from carving decoys. So you're
0: rich. fucked, is what he's saying right now. But you're, you're an kids artist, oh, and yeah. Your grandkids, I mean, yeah,
1: maybe. You're an artist. I've accepted that fact. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, yeah. you're you're an artist, and your artwork is going to be worth more when you're dead a long time. When when there is dog shitting on your face at the funeral yard, <laughs> that's when you might be worth some money. Your decoys, <laughs> but but am I telling the truth though?
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I, I I understand that, and that's that's kind of where like you can't live for today if sure. you're doing this decoy carving. Like it's got to be more than that. Right. Um, if you're just if you're just carving for tomorrow or carving to make a buck, you will die out. You will. You'll be burnout. You you won't last. You got to look at the bigger picture. Um, and the other thing, like I want to say too, is that I don't really discount the plastics, and you know, like Dive Bomb does a great job of getting getting things out there that are affordable to get more people into Mm waterfowling right or to allow them to grow their skill set if you didn't have those you know if you didn't have the plastics you didn't have the silhouettes there'd be people that just couldn't do it because they couldn't afford to so i really have appreciation for those but i always look at it like a progression for a waterfowler is like you start with that stuff you start with a hand-me-down and then you start with purchasing your own rig of plastics or, or whatever and then, like, the epitome is hand-carved decoys. Like, you can't, you you kind of can't go any further in the, the decoy world than that. And the other aspect is you're using something in the field, in the water, that birds aren't used to seeing. You know, like, they're not. They're different. You know, they're not, if, if they're flying by and they're seeing the same set of avian eggs, there, there may be something on the decoys that are triggering them and their learned behavior over time. And then all of a sudden, there's a spread that's that's. Doesn't look like all the ones they're getting shot at over. So I think there's there's still some value in just the functionality of, of hand-carved, too. Plus, they float better. Some of the guys on the East Coast, they like them because they actually function better in those tidal waters where right. the water's choppier. Um, they just don't bob as much as the, the plastics. They got but I think weight that kind of keeps them down. Yeah, yeah. They're the actual density of a real duck, density and weight, um, but I think the plastics, you know, that's what I got started, and I just got to the point where I was like, well, I don't really like how the mallard, the color on those side pockets on the mallards are. And you could repaint plastics, but I'm like, well, why don't I just try and carve my own? Mm-hmm. So well, that was...
0: Everybody's got their own place in the market, and everybody is appealing to a certain hunter of a certain mindset. Just like you said, Die Bomb's done an incredible job. They make an affordable decoy for the person that... You know, they don't they don't necessarily have the money for uh, number one, um, we couldn't run a spread of just hand car full bodies because we run so many decoys. So guys that are hunting lessers, guys that are hunting big numbers of snow geese or speckle bellies, die, that's where that's the that's the niche of dive bomb. Or the guys that uh you know, I've got four hundred dollars and I need five dozen decoys. Dive bomb is perfect for you. I mean mm-hmm. you can you can build a spread that way. But like you said, there, there's progressions. And as you progress in, in the sport, you know, you'll have your dive bombs, but then you start making, you, hopefully you start making more money as you age. And then you can invest in a hand-carved decoy. You can call yourself up and say, Hey, I want six of these. Right. And maybe you don't hunt with them every day. Maybe you only hunt with them whenever it's a, a, a close group of friends or family or your sons. Um, but you know, everybody's kind of got their own little niche that they can kind of fall in line and their customers find them.
2: Yeah. And that like I looked at it when you, we, we go back to our conversation about like building this business and what what were some of your th- thought processes? One of them was what has like survived the times, right? Like what is continuing to be used mm-hmm. through all these different changes in technology and in hunt, the hunting industry? What's what's mm-hmm. still valued? You know, maybe not as much as it was back in the, you know, 30s, 40s, 50s, but definitely still has value. And, it will, you know, all these hand-carved decoys are going to remain, quote-unquote, in style right. for the life of, of waterfowl hunting, I believe. Yeah. You know, like, and so there's always going to be a place for them.
0: Well, and you look like, like Pacific a couple, a month or so ago, they made a, a small run on, on wooden goose calls. Mm-hmm. Fuck, they sold out. But it yeah. goes back to that. This is this is a shelf piece. This is something that I can pass down to my kids. This is something I can put on my lanyard. It fully, it's fully functional. But it's just something about it's just something about that wood. And you see the you see the time and the effort and the craftsmanship that has gone into it. And it's something that appreciates in value later on down the line.
1: You can go in any waterfowlers home in the world. I don't care if they make, if they're living on the fringe of poverty or they're a billionaire. And they're going to have something duck-related in their house. Every one of them is going to have a decoy. They're going to have a mount, or they're going to have uh, calls. They're going to have their calls put up. They all do. There's nothing. I mean, deer hunters don't have. I mean, they got some deer heads, and that's it. But you go to a waterfowler's house. It's a true waterfowler, and they've got every house has got something in it that that shows you their passion for waterfowl hunting.
2: Yeah, I mean, you look at, like, especially with the the decoys, even people that aren't waterfowlers. If you live on a lake,
3: yeah, you've yeah, got right. a decoy yes.
2: in your house somewhere. Yeah. And yeah. in Michigan, there's lakes everywhere. So, you, you I mean, I, I've i had clients that have bought decoys. They're not duck hunters. They're just like, we enjoy watching the ducks out back, and we get a lot of wood ducks in here, and we want one for the shelf. Sure. You know, like, the, so it, it opens you up into a different, um, you know, demographic, too. That's not necessarily my target demographic but that those are there's some you know some added bonuses there.
1: They paid Um, the same.
2: Exactly. Yeah.
0: How uh, what was it like getting your wife on board with this? Was she uh was she pretty receptive or or did you kind of like have to
1: you always ask the questions nobody wants to answer. It was my
2: wife's idea.
0: Really? See there fuck you Jeff. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Like it was
2: so I was I was working my day job and I was carving a lot in the evening anyway, just kind of like for my own rig or somebody would ask me for a bird or whatever. I was I was doing it, I was carving quite a bit. And one day I got home from work and she's like, "said I was gonna I'm gonna go carve for a little bit." And she's like, "Why don't you try and sell some of those decoys? Like I feel like you got a pretty good skill that you're just kind of sitting on, mm-hmm. you know? Like why don't you try and sell those?" And I was like, "And I'm a very like private person when it comes to." you know something that you're working hard on this skill and this you know quote unquote art it's hard to put it out there for the world and get the feedback right so i was a little hesitant um but once she said that i was like okay well why don't i just start an actual business right that's like legitimate and it that that was kind of the idea is kind of do it as a hobby on the side within like two or three months i knew it wasn't gonna just be a hobby it was growing too quickly and then um you know, within six months to a year, I knew it was going to be a full-time gig real quick. So, um, yeah, it was actually her idea. And so she's been super supportive because I'm out here at night, you know, and it's, it's long days. Um, but she knows that it's just part of the, part of the grind right now.
0: When were you comfortable in, um, quitting your quote unquote day job and and pursuing this uh, full-time? When did you know, like, okay, this is a business,
2: when I I was getting... The orders were starting to build and it was around Christmas time. So I was kind of thinking, well, orders are building just for Christmas gifts. Sure. And this was in uh, 2020. Um, which, you know, during the pandemic and all the businesses just online couldn't do any shows or anything like that. So it's starting to build. And I was thinking, well, this is just going to be the Christmas rush. We got into like January, February and I got like two massive orders mm-hmm. i mean one was twenty thousand dollar plus decoy rate order you know like that was like well i'm all set for the next you know few months mm-hmm. on just that one order and then they just started coming after that and i knew like by you know march of that year that okay this isn't going to slow down this is going to be pretty consistent and then you know especially going into christmas in 2021 so it's and it has grown every quarter and and i expect it to continue to do that and i you know ultimately i don't want to just be carving all day every day like right. i can't sustain that so that's where like having a brand um that people can support even if they can't you know or, or aren't, aren't able to purchase decoys at this point or it's not something that they're going to do they can there's still ways they could support the brand um so we're looking at some of those those ideas
0: do you have anybody that helps you at all in the shop, or is this a one-man band?
2: Yeah, so I've had um, depending on the rush. So I've had some sometimes where I'm, you know, I'm 150, 160 decoys behind. Yeah. Um, my son, who's he's 21, he just turned 21. He's really he's gotten really good at some of these processes that that I don't want to say anybody could do, but with some some minimal teaching could do. So he's you know sealing and texturing maybe even blocking in paint sometimes. Um, Nobody's carving. Um, I've got a business partner, Boyd, who's come over and helped me at times, like with cutting out, um, cutting, rough cutting them out of blocks. Mm -hmm. So some of the processes you can get people to to do, I had, we've had a painter that's, you know, like he's, he's done a lot of painting in his life and he's got an art degree, but he's an avid duck. Everyone's got to be a duck hunter. That's the key. Like I'm, there's no like spreading this out. they have to have a passion for it. Um, and so I've had people help me at times, but generally it's it's me. That's tough. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well listen, man, this has been uh it's been a lot of fun. I've enjoyed uh we've kept you an hour and a half and I know you got better things that you could be doing. But uh tell people I, there's
2: nothing better nothing better than talking duck hunting and carving and, you
1: know. <laughs> that's how we started this podcast yeah. just bullshitting about things we love to do <laughs> tell people how they can get a hold of you
0: what's the best is there a website instagram phone how do, you, how do you want people to get yeah a hold of you?
2: i would say check out the website if you're uh if you're interested in our decoys and want to shoot me an email so our website's www.cedarrundecoys.com um we're on Instagram and Facebook, I've got a couple buddies, Kai Carlson and Eric Schaefer, who are phenomenal photographers that have helped me with maintaining somewhat of a uh, uh, presentable uh, social media presence. So Instagram is Cedar Run Decoys. I think it's the same on Facebook, just Cedar Run. search for Cedar Run Decoys.
0: Do you do geese also? I didn't even ask you that. Or you just do ducks?
2: You know, I, I ha- I haven't done them. Mm-hmm. I I do things like that on request. Like I'm I'm doing quail or uh, uh, sharp tail grouse right now on request. So I'll do other things on request. Um, so yeah, it certainly could do geese, but I I don't advertise it.
0: Is it just boring or what? Paints kind of kind of simple or not as big a demand. Not as big as demand. Yeah,
2: it's a demand thing. I really? think it's hard for people to put those on a shelf. Uh-huh. You know, so there's like less less demand for it, and yeah. I don't advertise it. So yeah. maybe I could, and that that would be, but it's just not something. It takes a lot more material. It's going to be more costly.
1: Yeah. Well, I you, make, you do great work, Corey. I appreciate you being on here. Uh, yeah. Look forward to uh, meeting you in person one day. Uh, yeah,
2: yeah, I I think I need to come down there and book a hunt with you guys and bring some buddies. We'd love you know, to have
1: you. It's, it's, We'd love to have you. We appreciate you very much. Uh, thank you. God bless you, man. Have a great year. And if there's anything we can do to help you, please let us know. I
2: appreciate you guys having me on. It's been yes, a blast. Man. Well, thank you. Thank you. For, honor uh, for us
0: to have you on yeah, with us. Yeah, it was. It was a lot of fun. I, we really appreciate it. All
1: right. Thank you, sir. You have a good day. Thanks, guys. Bye. Uh-huh. Interesting guy.
0: Yeah, it is. A lot of, uh, I mean, just the hours that he's spent <clears throat> alone in a shop honing in on his craft.
1: God, I couldn't imagine what my first one would look like if I did it. Whew.
0: You think it would look as good as his?
1: No, not even close.
0: Like I said, mine would look like there's a decoy somewhere out here. No, I mean, what am I thinking about?
1: I don't know, but mine would look like some of the... I think Reese and
0: I could probably start at the same time, and he might get a better-looking decoy than me. Reese has
1: got a lot of artistic ability, though. I don't know that you don't, but But I'm just saying,
0: mine would probably look like that decoy over there. That old one with it.
1: That old Brant? That's a cool old decoy, though. But that's just an old block some guy, probably Market Hunter, had, because that's an old, old decoy.
0: Very, uh... unsophisticated but you know that's it looks like that fucking canvas back right there
1: i like i like uh collecting old stuff and i like that old brand that's a cool old thing i bought that on ebay a long time ago well i mean i just like old looking stuff it's just
0: it has a story to every one of them has a story and a character and yes you know it's is it is it you know feasible for every hunter to have a set of hand carved decoys to hunt over absolutely not but what for the a, person that wants a dozen to hunt in their backyard or a small pond or put up on a shelf somewhere. That
1: would be cool. Well, I'm a collector and I'm never telling how many my grandkids are going to get to inherit one day, but they're going to have a bunch of them. And I just hope one of them has a passion for them and loves them and he'll keep them and toss them on to his grandkids. Hmm. All right. Thank you all for listening to us. Hey, you know what? Hmm. We're going on vacation tomorrow.
0: We will be, well, are God, you nervous? God willing, we'll be in Mexico whenever this is released. Yeah, Actually, we we'll on. be coming back because this will be on Monday. So, God willing, we're coming back from Mexico when this is released.
1: Well, we're going to have – I'm not – if we get delayed down there two or three days, it's not a big deal for me and Mom. and you? It is because you have kids to get home
0: We're to. not going to get delayed, but I, I just mean
1: – Well, we're about to get over there because the that's what I the ice That's what I mean. That's what I'm saying.
0: God willing, we're coming back from Mexico yep. right now. I, hum- no, once we get down there, I have no – the weather's going to be in the 60s on Monday. Yeah. So. They changed go our
1: forecast again just to make go look to more sleet and ice this week for Jesse's tomorrow. Just
0: got a, or Jesse got got an email that said, as of right now, your plans have, your travel plans have not changed, but
1: She did get an email that said that? From American. Oh, that's great. Well, we'll know tomorrow. So, anyways, thank y'all for listening to us. God bless you. We appreciate y'all so much. Check out our sponsors. Uh it's March already. Hunting season's gonna start in about four more or six more months. When this releases It'll be March. It'll be, well, it'll be February February
0: 28th, 28th, but you're six months from Dovey. Dovey, that's right.
1: All right, thank you all. God bless you all. Have a great day.
0: Go check out all of our great sponsors before you leave here. Check out Pacific Calls, Boss Shot Shells, Dive Bomb Industries, Alpha Outdoors, Shin Gear Waiters, Dirty Duck Coffee, Gun Dog Outdoors, State Plains Meat, Stanfield Hunting Outfitters, uh, Lucky Duck, and the Looking Glass Duck Club podcast.